You are listening to TMB DOS. They must be destroyed on site. The following podcast may contain adult language, conversations surrounding adult situations that may not be suitable for younger listeners, as well as spoilers for the films discussed on this podcast. You have been warned. Now, come on in. I still haven't watched a movie past 2000 and cause he didn't hit record. So I'm still, I'm still All right, awesome. Yeah, yep. no, that's good. Oh, no, 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 no. No. <laughs> we did punch drunk love. We did punch drunk love. That's too oh, bad. One too. No. That's right. But you know, they'll, they'll only hear about that on the Patreon episodes that we're doing. No, we're not doing those, uh, <laughs> but, but dollar shave club might be a, might be a thing in the future or sure, it might not yeah. be. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. Only uh, Squarespace. Squarespace. That's the where we have to go. Yeah. We, we got to go OG with our. What's the, what's the What's the fruit basket thing? You know where you. Uh... Oh. Uh, well, I know Sherry's, Sherry's berries. berries. Sherry's berries. That's the thing. Yeah. 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 What they, happened they... to LimeWire? LimeWire was. N- I don't think LimeWire was ever a shill thing for uh, podcasts, but. Uh... Good. I'm glad I said something. The thing is, I don't listen to any corporate podcasts, and then I like listen to one, and they did like three ads in 45 minutes because it was like the Slate political podcast, and I'm like, I kind of like your commentary, but not enough to listen to like you know three separate ads, right? In 45 minutes, like no, that's fucking bullshit. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah, Sher- Sherry's berries, big, f- gigantic, flavorless strawberries that they have to put chocolate on for you to actually enjoy eating yeah well you know yeah. go, apparently go sherry's berries just not very not very attractive no my my my, my berries are more tasty than those motherfuckers <laughs> look at those berries baby mm. put chocolate on those just because chocolate salty balls um mm-hmm. anyway here we are it is episode 110 of they must be destroyed on site and if you've been listening to this nonsense uh in this cold opening here <laughs> uh, uh, I, uh, I'm your host, Lee. I'll be back in ten minutes. Loaded for bear, Russell. I'm joined by my co-host, Daniel. When he dies, this town dies too, Harper. And my other co-host, Paul. You know, I never touch a drop until the stroke of noon, Ramali. How are you guys doing, gentlemen? I have touched. Very... I've touched drops already. Yeah. Uh, well, what are what are we all drinking? We we don't we don't talk about that enough. What, what are we all doing tonight? Ooh. Well, it's past noon. Yeah, it's it is past noon. Oh, it's yeah. past noon somewhere at least. But uh, what are, what are you it's drinking? Past there, noon somewhere. Well, I had the uh, the uh, great uh, was it uh, hopping frogs doors to destroy a Rocky Mountain version. So uh, you know, no blue ball, uh, no Rocky Mountain oysters apparently. But it was a good uh, double imperial oatmeal Russian stout. Well, said that wrong, but you know what I mean. And then I had the Trogues Impending um, Descent, which is a stout brew with vanilla beans and cocoa, aged bourbon, again. And now I'm on to the Pennsylvania Tuxedo, which, 
even though a lot of you can't see it, is what I'm wearing. A flannel shirt. Tuxedo. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Red and black. To, to be fair, I think that's also a tuxedo here in Nova Scotia, at least in the Annapolis Valley anyway. So uh, it's like it's like we're brothers from another mother. Yeah. I think I think winter in the in the uh, you know North American continent, like this section of the North American continent, flannel is just a it's such a uniform. It's not even a tuxedo. It's just everyone's wearing it. Well, like, back in the day, is the the red and black is actually a uh, hunting suit that uh, Woolrich made specifically, and uh, it was called the Pennsylvania Tuxedo. And Woolrich actually donated uh, half the share of the money that was needed to brew this beer to Dogfish Head to make this beer. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So the company Woolrich actually made help make this beer. So there you go. Cool. Ta-da! What about you, Daniel? What are you drinking right now? I've got a glass of the uh, Founder Centennial IPA, which is kind of my go-to beer at this point. Because if I buy, if I get them on sale, it's usually like fifteen ninety-nine for a fifteen-pack, and it's seven wow. IPA, and it's pretty delicious. And so I drink a ton of this. This is just my go-to beer right now. Like I just drink it all the time. Um, mm-hmm. I've got a, a little glass of the uh, Bullet Bourbon on the side because you ah, can't, yes. can't talk about westerns you can't watch westerns without having a little bit of bourbon i, I concur. there's bourbon there's bourbon in everything i'm drinking tonight so yeah. i concur uh whether it's bourbon or just straight rye whiskey i have a combination of the leftovers of my wild turkey rye and george dickel and it's going down fairly well the wild turkey seems to be dominating but that's a good thing actually because i'm not oh, yeah that's... george dickel so well, that, that's good dirkle dirker uncle mm. can i do that george dickel this shows you what a bland whiskey jack daniels actually is if you take away the sort of signature flavor characteristics i kind of think mm. honestly i kind of have to love jack daniels just because i grew up in the south and, uh, and I feel I feel like it's just one of those like it was a coming of age thing. You, know, you got you got sour mash in your DNA. That's I just yeah. I do I do. Even though I'm not actually from Tennessee, um, <laughs> I'm from I'm from what we call Roy Moore territory in in this uh, particular moment. <laughs> oh Jesus! <laughs> um, I can't drink uh, Jack Daniels anymore because I drank a bunch of pints of liquor in one night, and and Jack Daniels happened to be the last of the pints. Yeah, and Ooh, I, I got very one. very ill. Yes. Yeah, you always remember your last one. The, that's always yep. the worst one. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, all right. So uh, tonight we're starting on a uh, little series of classic westerns uh, suggested by Daniel, and this removes some stuff from our sort of master list as well. We've been trying to uh, start knocking things off from our master list. By the way, in November we had kind of a slow month because of scheduling problems. So. We didn't get to two movies that we were intending to get to, The Last Wave and uh, Southern Comfort. We will get to them sometime early in the new year. Still intend to get to them, but right now we're just taking a little diversion, a welcome one, I I would say. We're going to be looking at High Noon and 310 to Yuma tonight. But before we get into that, we'll get to some comments here really quickly. Uh, we have two comments from uh, our faithful fan, CB Fall, posted on our Aguirre, The Wrath of God episode, and said... It was excellent indeed. Wow. And, and then our episode on Sorcerer said, very fantastic podcast indeed. Is very fantastic better than excellent? That's my only question. All I know is, must be a very desperate listener. I think you can only answer that question by asking Bill and Ted. I think that's the that's only that, is, it, is it most excellent? <laughs> 
Oh, very excellent. Oh, wow. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah, the, well, we'll let the uh, we'll let the wild stallions. Uh, well, anyway, uh, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank much. thank you very much, CB Fall. Always appreciated. Now we'll move on to a YouTube comment on Sorcerer from Nage Thirty Seven. I think he listens to our podcast primarily through the YouTube version. So he says, "I'm glad you guys talked about this terrific film." I absolutely love this movie. This has one of my favorite scores with the awesome music of Tangerine Dream. Yes, indeed. And then we'll move on to two Facebook comments. I asked for some Facebook comments tonight on our Facebook group. They must be destroyed on site on Facebook. The single best way to get in contact with us and find out what's coming up on the podcast. And uh, our good friend James Murphy. Hold on. Doesn't he have a, a podcast that... Yes. James and I are... well. He is the host, and he uh, has graciously made me the co-host of his City of the Dead sub-podcast of his Pex Lives podcast. And very, very soon, our latest episode is coming up on And Now the Screaming Starts. Uh, we're going through all the ah, Amicus horror films. Very so, good, uh, very good, very good. Yeah, and it's a good episode. I've, I've heard the uh, unedited version, and it came out pretty well. So there we go. Nothing um, like a good acid bath. <laughs> that's not And Now the Screaming Starts, though. That's Scream and Scream Again. Oh, shut up. We've done that one, though. We we, we have done it, though. Um, I know you have. Yeah, yeah. Uh, So he says, in regard to High Noon, he says, I love the use of music in High Noon. You're never tired of the variations on that simple melody. Cooper looks tired as anything throughout cinema's most in need of a decent nap. (laughs) (laughs) Which you don't even... it's, It's very James Murphy that you don't even think about that element until... He says it, and now I can't not see it in Gary Cooper's performance. That's, uh, uh, yeah, that's that's the thing that I've learned uh, podcasting with him. He brings up all the weird, obtuse angles that you've never even considered when you watch a movie, and he just surprises you with them. Yeah, And we have another comment from uh, one of our recent members to the uh, Facebook group, Jeff Williams. He says, the cast of High Noon is an incredible list of Western all-stars, but I hate that maudlin song so much it almost single-handedly spoils the film for me. It's like <laughs> that massively annoying kid in Shane. Oh, that that's that's pushing it, I think. Um, <laughs> maybe it's sacrilege, but I prefer 310 to Yuma. Well, I mean, that is that is your prerogative, sir. When we talk about the music, I think I will uh, go a little further into the discussion about this. But um, I, I think the High Noon versus Three to the Yuma question is an interesting one, and I'm, mm-hmm. I hope that I hope we do cover that because I have thoughts on that. But I think we'll save it for a little bit further down the line. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we're we're done our comments. Here's where it was we... comment chaos this time. Yeah, like it it. yeah. It's been a while since we had this many comments, so that's that's good stuff. So we'll take a quick break. You'll hear some promos for some podcasts we love, and uh, you might hear a little bit of music. Who knows? And we'll be back with High Noon. Yeah, Lee, make it funky. Yeah, we'll get funky. You ungodly warlock. Mmm, great coffee. Mmm. Hey. Chad, who's that strange, somber man on the cover of that book you're reading? Oh, that's H.P. Lovecraft. Oh, I've heard of him, but I never really got into his stuff. It's kind of strange and hard to read. No, I used to think that too. But that all changed when I started listening to the H.P. Lovecraft Literary Podcast. What's that? The H.P. Lovecraft Literary Podcast is a weekly podcast. Tell me more. Well, these two really smart and hilarious guys give a synopsis of the story, then they talk about its background, the critical views, and what it says about the author. Well, where can I listen? Let me tell you, Chris, you can go to hppodcraft.com or, heck, just subscribe through iTunes. It's that easy. Oh, Chad, I'm so excited. Now I can listen to the 
podcast and pretend to all my snooty friends that I actually read and understand H.P. Lovecraft. Hey, that's what I do. <laughs> oh, dear. HPPodcraft.com This is a distress call from across time and space. I am Babs the automated biological support system for the humanoid known as the Witch. Witch vs. the Doomsday Clock is the weekly chronicle of his fight for survival and entertainment on the junk heap of the future. Episodes are transmitted in 15-minute pulses across the dimensional divide weekly for your listening pleasure. As you will learn, the future is not set in stone, and a flux capacitor is a girl's best friend. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, TuneIn, and on your Android device. Come join the rest of the Meat Popsicles in our Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash witch vs the doomsday clock. The replicant known as witch can be found on Twitter, Facebook, Tumblr and Instagram by searching for T-H-E-W-Y-C-H. The Witch vs the Doomsday Clock is a proud member of the Legion Podcast Network. Now in the words of Lord Humongous. Just walk away, and there will be an end to the horror. You ungodly warlock.
All right. Here's the first movie. High Noon, 1952. Judges left town, Harvey's quit, and I'm having trouble getting deputies. People gotta talk themselves into law and order before they do anything about it. Maybe because down deep they don't care. They just don't care. I think you better go while there's still time. It's better for you and it's better for us. Amy. I mean it. If you won't go with me now, I'll be on that train when it leaves here. I've got to stay. Why must you be so stupid, Will? Have you forgotten what he is? Have you forgotten what he's done to people? Have you forgotten that he's crazy? Don't you remember when he sat in that chair and said, You'll never hang me, I'll come back. I'll kill you, Will Ken. I swear it, I'll kill you. A terror-stricken town left him to face four killers, single-handed, at high noon. With every swing of the pendulum, with every second, a man's life ticked away. Never have so few moments held such excitement. Miller! What kind of woman are you? How can you leave him like this? Does the sound of the guns frighten you that much? Directed by Fred Zinnemann, written by Carl Foreman, uh, who did the screenplay. And it's technically based on the story, The Ten Star, by John W. Cunningham, although there's a little story behind that, because apparently Carl Foreman's original screenplay was so close to that story, and someone pointed it out, that they basically bought the rights to that story, so there'd be no, like, <laughs> plagiarism lawsuit. <laughs> So they they don't really tell you that in the uh, credits, but that's the reason why uh, the 10 star is credited here. It is starring Gary Cooper as Marshall Will Kane, Thomas Mitchell as Mayor Jonas Henderson, Lloyd Bridges as Deputy Marshal Harvey Pell, Katie Gerardo, 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 Gerardo. Gerardo. Yeah, okay. Uh, I, I keep forgetting Jay. Yeah, Gerardo. Yeah. As Helen Ramirez, Grace Kelly as Amy Fowler Kane. Otto Kruger as Judge Percy uh, Metric. Lon Chaney Jr., of all people, is Martin Howe. Harry Morgan. Not, not credited Jr., though. Yeah. Harry Morgan from MASH fame as Sam Fuller. Ian McDonald as Frank Miller. Eve McVeigh as Mildred Fuller. Morgan Farley as Dr. Mahan, the minister. Harry Shannon as Cooper. Lee Van Cleef, in a very early appearance, as Jack Colby. Robert J. Wilk as... Jim Pierce and Sheb Woolley as Ben Miller. 
And uh, we'll go to a really quick synopsis here I picked from DVD Beaver. Gary Cooper is Lawman Will Kane, a marshal who stands alone to defend a town of cowardly citizens against a gang of killers out for revenge. Engaged in the fight of his lifetime, Kane stands to lose everything when the clock strikes noon. His friends, his honor, and his Quaker bride, played by Grace Kelly in one of her first film screen roles. Unfolding in real time, the tension builds as we race ever closer to the climatic duel from which the film takes its name. So there we go. I think that pretty much sums up this, the plot of this fairly well. I'll go to you first there, uh, Daniel. When was the first time you saw this? Oh, God. It's one of those, I don't know, I probably saw it on TCM 15, 20 years ago at some point. I don't know. It's usually you ask me when's the first time you saw a film, and I have like a like some kind of like a, a very detailed recollection of oh, I saw it at this you know. But I feel like this is one that I did seek out to some degree, but I don't remember exactly when, which is actually kind of an interesting phenomenon because um, yeah. I might have actually gotten it on like DVD from Netflix, you know, ten years ago, or I might have like just caught it on TCM. I, I can't remember. Either way, I actually did seek it out because I had heard of it from reputation, but I saw it sometime in my mid to late twenties, watched it, enjoyed it, and just kind of set it aside and then like rewatched it a year or two ago. Again, enjoyed it, set it aside and then uh rewatched it in the last couple of months because it's kick and said, Hey, we should cover this. And so we're covering it. <laughs> right. It is considered to be one of the great classics of the genre. I, I think it deserves credit for that for historical reasons, but I don't I don't know. I'm, I'm interested to see what you guys have to say about it before I kind of comment further because I've, I've got some thoughts about you know kind of where it lands within the sort of classic Western world, and I and I want to kind of sit for a minute. So if that's okay, yeah, okay. Uh, Paul, uh, is this your, for the, for the podcast? Is this the first time you're watching it? And what are your sort of general thoughts on it? Well, unlike Daniel, I have a very distinctive time in my head of when I watch this. Um, Two a.m. today. <laughs> very distinctive very in my head you know that kind of thing i heard about high noon when we were doing the original lee van cleef motif mm-hmm. with the podcast i've heard of high noon i was like i'm actually surprised we haven't we didn't do it already so going to watch it i was a little bit surprised which you lon cheney popped up yeah i mean that's a, that's a surprise in itself and of course he's doing the thing is about lon cheney I don't want to go off on a tangent. Lon Chaney just plays Lon Chaney no matter what he's in. Oh, do, 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 do. I'm watching Mice of Men every time I watch Lon Chaney. And uh, he just does his, his standard old, I'm an old man character in it. But this film was very, very good. Um, just one of those things that, yeah, I completely go with Daniel on the whole putting it into that Western classic vibe. I'm not going to go too into it right now. This is the first time I've watched it, and uh, it held me, and uh, I felt for the middle time, even though I was pretty frustrated the whole time I was watching it. And I'll go on to you, Lee. All right. This is kind of considered a revisionist Western, and it's kind of funny because most people think of revisionist Westerns, they think 1970s for the most part, when when, when they kind of when they kind of think of that. maybe at least some... the, the 60s, the spaghetti Westerns, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the good, the with within like uh, North American westerns, most people yeah. don't think like they this kind of feel. Oh, we had classic westerns up until Sergio Leone, and then all of a sudden Clint Eastwood and everybody was making weird westerns in the seventies that were totally against everything that came before. But no, this this is a might be the earliest example of a revisionist western. I'm not quite sure. Don't quote me on that one. But it's I think. One of the things I I took from this immediately is that this is one that I had seen 
bits and pieces here and there over my lifetime. I'd never fully watched it until I'd done it for, for the podcast. And one of the things that jumped out at me right away is just the obvious DNA for Sergio Leone's stuff is just it jumps right out at you in this film. Just the building of tension and suspense in this film from the get-go is obviously something Leone aped and intensified in his films. Uh, You have the image of the three killers waiting at the train station. Obviously, Once Upon a Time in the West just directly ripped that. And another big thing that really jumps out is the musical score, where it's this constant one song in different variations, mm-hmm. and it's connected to Will Kane himself. For the, for the most part, it's really connected to his character and what his character is feeling, what that character is going through in whatever specific part of the film. And, I mean, that obviously comes out in not only just Once Upon a Time in the West, but it also comes out to a small degree in The Good, Bad, and The Ugly as well. Like, there, there, there is that idea of thematically connecting music to characters and making it all one big thing in the film that actually means something. So there, there is that there as well. I like this a lot. I do kind of consider it a classic, maybe a minor classic of the genre, but a classic all the same. I think thematically it's very interesting. There's definitely, uh, and we might get into a bit of this, but there's definitely a lot of sort of political resonance and scandal behind this film. It, it is notorious more for politics than, than a lot of other things. But this definitely is not your classic Western. It, it's shades of gray for the most part. I can see why John Wayne and Howard Hawks thought this was like an affront to everything they had done before. <laughs> because essentially the, the idea here is that they saw this Western and Three Tin to Yuma, by the way, as well, was also a sort of deciding factor in them making Rio Bravo and trying to go back to more of a classic Western, good guys wear white, bad guys wear black. Oh, you mean that that kind of, like, I'm just going to say it, white and black kind of idealism? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah. very, very, yeah, it's it's black and white, no shades of gray. The, The citizens can be helpless and innocent, but they can't be cowardly. You know, they can't have other motivations other than that. And this film definitely changes that whole idea yeah where, where, they shout that right they shout that right out in the film that hey yeah you, this uh, you're buddies with this guy so i mean fuck yeah, you. yeah i mean this is this is interesting this this is a uh this is a post steam engine west this is you know the frontier has been mostly tamed uh this is a town that is prospering it uh, Will Kane has been a big part of making it prosperous though because he put down the last bad men in the area and made it safe so this town is lazy, it's complacent, um, and the worst part is it's willing to compromise to say, sort of stay safe. And the only people in this town who are willing to help Will Kane are the ones who have no power or her, are just not up to the task in the first place. Like, it's, it's, a, it's a young kid who's like 14 years old and uh, a one-eyed drunk. <laughs> with who yeah. who want to want to help him? The only other guy who wants to help is uh, one of the guys he uh, deputized long ago, who's a volunteer deputy. And when he learns that there's no other deputies, he's like, "Fuck this! I'm out of here." <laughs> well, the one the one guy was was willing to help until he realized that he like he was better and better than uh, the other guy with the <laughs> Helen. And then the other guy's like, uh, you sure you don't have three guys? Because I'm pretty sure you said you have three guys. No, you don't. Well, I'm gone. See you. Bye. But, you know, if you get three guys, just let me know. No big deal. And yeah. I'm like, really? 
is this really happening? Yeah, and 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 I, I find it kind of interesting that uh, this came before uh, Akira Kurosawa's uh, Seven Samurai by a couple years, and uh, Akira Kurosawa sort of borrowed that idea of uh, complacent villagers who just compromise and give, you know, basically tribute to a local group of bandits who was run by. And essentially that's what's going to happen in this town if, if Will Kane lets Frank Miller come back and, and start his gang up again. Mm-hmm. There, yeah. there, there, there's actual people in this town looking forward to Frank Miller coming back and, and running roughshod through this town because business was better for, for some of these people. Like the, the saloon owner... Uh, or well, the bartender at the saloon, anyway, and and the guy at the hotel, they're they're pretty fucking uh, blatant about it. Things were better before Will Kane came in and cleaned up this town. So, mm. yeah, just to put this in uh, in kind of historical context, I think we as a twenty first century viewers of these kinds of things, you know, it's an old black and white western with Gary Cooper. Therefore, it's like sort of that classic western. And I think you you put your finger on it there, Lee, is uh, that it, this is one of the first, if not the first sort of revisionist western. At the time, just putting the quote-unquote good guy in the black hat and the bad guy in the white hat uh, was sort of a, a radical move. Although it's also, um, it does kind of lend itself to, well, maybe we don't quite know who the good guy and the bad guy is in this situation. I think you can read this as, as uh, you know, Will Cain is, not necessarily the best guy in this moment, you know? I think that you kind of glanced over this sort of political read. During the making of the film, the uh, screenwriter was uh, brought up before uh, Joe McCarthy's HUAC committee, and I was kind of asked to name names, and uh, that kind of hangs over the history of the film. I, I think it doesn't have a lot to do with the actual film itself. I think that, you know, the film kind of gets read through that lens. Um, more yeah. so than, because I think, I think, I mean, I watched the film the first time and didn't know anything about that. And I definitely knew about McCarthy and Huack and had no, like, kind of, I, you know, I don't get that read from it. And I, and I think that Are you talking about the, like, like the McCarthyanism? The yeah, yeah. following communist kind of thing? Or what are you talking yeah, yeah. about? Yeah, so Screwdriver of the film was brought up by Joe McCarthy. Like McCarthy okay. accused him of being a communist and he okay, was asked gotcha. to name names and the screenwriter refused to name names and uh, right. so you get some of the other people. And so there's, there's a, like a history behind the making of the film because the producer, uh, Stanley Kramer, was one of the people that, you know, the screenwriter refused to name, you know, and right. then so... And then, so, so to a certain degree, I mean, you know, basically the guy who wrote this film got blacklisted because he refused to name names. And right, so, right. so that hangs over this film. The, the, yeah. I, I didn't know that. So I figured I'd ask. Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's fine. Um, it's kind of, but, but it's kind of like once you start to study this film at all, once you kind of, kind of learn the, it's kind of the thing everybody talks about. And mm-hmm. from my perspective, I mean, it's important historically if we're talking about putting it in a historical context, but it's not really important to the film itself because it doesn't seem to really have affected the filmmaking at all. Really what it is, is like people uh, like to read like the Gary Cooper characters, like he's standing up to the evil of, you know, this gang. And that's the same thing as standing up to McCarthy. But like, obviously when they were writing the film, when they were making the film, they had no idea that was what was going on you know right right so so it's it's easy to kind of read it as sort of this historical moment but at the same time i don't i don't think that that tracks because what mccarthy's doing has nothing to do with like there's this violent gang that shows up in a small town and you know mm-hmm. be, you know it's it's really this sort of like a generic kind of a fable about sort of moral rectitude is kind of kind of the point of the film and about what is the sort of ethics of uh when can you pick up a weapon you know because uh mm-hmm. One of the subplots is you know, his wife. The Quaker. 
he decides to pick up a weapon towards the end of the film. Mm-hmm. Which, which For, even that I thought was kind of, uh, I thought that was going to end up a little differently, but it ended up kind of like I thought it would. Of yeah, yeah. Well, point. I mean, she shoots the guy in the back. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's yeah. pretty. It was just pretty it was bad. Move. Yeah, it's pretty hardcore. <laughs> pretty crazy, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's shooting. I mean, the guy is shooting at you know her husband. So I mean, you know, it's a fair, it's a yeah, fair yeah, cop. You know, should, I mean, but... like, yeah, but in the back, she should be doing math and having sex at the same time. That's pretty rough. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's that's a that's a big thing back in then. Yeah, yeah, I get know, it. I, I understand. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, what's funny is watching these kinds of films, and you sort of get this sense that, like, a lot of what people responded to was the nuance, because so many of these films kind of have this very similar structure. You know, yeah. Oh, there's a guy, and there's this gang kind of coming in, and then we're kind of marking time for a while. We have a saloon scene. We have a you know da 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 da. And so, yeah, yeah, and not even structure. Uh, I mean, uh, the vibe too. Like, there's a vibe to all these movies that are similarly structured too, and you just get you get stuck into it. You get stuck right. into it so easily, and then you start to forget what you're watching, and then you start forgetting what you're what you're seeing is not normal. Like for me, the first time I watched these films, I got so stuck into the same old vibe, same old thing, same old thing that I just watched a regular western, and right. I'm like, well, okay, that wasn't really. A typical Western. There, there were other things happening. And this wasn't a, 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 a like you said, uh, the Duke. The Duke wasn't there. This was yeah, a little yeah, bit yeah. different. Yeah. <laughs> well, this is also right before TV became a thing. Like TV mm-hmm. really kind of hit big in fifty three, fifty four. So you know, what's funny is the degree to which this formula became like the standard thing you saw on TV for. 20 years i mean the western genre basically was born i mean literally some of the very first films made in the late 19th century were westerns and it was the like standard thing that was on a silver screen until the mid 70s basically until the like the blockbuster took over so this was i mean this is this is so so you think like 52 this is fairly late in that history you know even though right. today we think like, oh, it's really old, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it, you know, it looks and feels really old, but this is still at that time. This is definitely within this genre. It has, it is commenting on so much of the other stuff that's going to come before it, and I think that it's easy to miss in that in that context. Yeah. But seeing a very young Lee Van Cleef does make it seem as a as as me a very very panded watcher now and again. Uh, it does seem very old when you watch him so young. It's like, oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, fre- yeah, fresh, fresh faced, hawk nosed, rat faced. Yeah, you rat faced bastard. I mean, you're young, but you're a rat faced bastard anyway. Well, what's funny he- is you see Lee Van Cleef and you think of him, I mean, you know, like we think of him as, oh, it's fucking Lee Van Cleef. But at the time, he was just like a guy with an issue. I mean, Lee Van Cleef was kind of going nowhere until mm-hmm. Leon discovered him, basically, you know. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you you can see Leone. He watched this film with like like a fine microscope, you know, like everything he was looking at here that he was pulling for his movies. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind that he saw Lee Van Cleef in there, and he immediately focused on him. Like, I got to find this guy, you know. Or he saw Jack Elam, and Jack Elam's only got a bit part in this. Who ends up being one of the killers, the one with the fly on his face in Once Upon a Time in the West. He's the drunk in the jail cell. That's Jack Elam in, in this film. Uh, it, you, I mean, you got to think that basically, I mean, th- there is a sense in which if if uh, High Noon is the beginning of the revisionist Western, Once Upon a Time in the West is like Leone finishing that, like we're yeah. done. There is no more Western, or at least, or at least making, at least making the revisionist Western pop culture. You know, like making yeah. it like the big thing. The thing I, the, I think, the biggest strength of this film is it comes down to it being an exercise intention. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, this and 310 to Yuma, which we'll get into, both use the sort of idea of a ticking clock as its as its driving force, right? Here, this is shot almost in, uh, originally was not quite shot in real time, but it's it's been edited down so it's fairly close to basically running in real time. So you so you've got the basically the hour and a, and a half before noon that uh, that that you would you would have, and it just builds that tension and it keeps building that tension. You get a little bit of that from the score as well as Kane starts out his journey to deputize people. You know he's he's got high spirits. He's like I'm going to do this. I'm going to get some deputies. We're going to run these guys off. Then I'm going to run off with my wife, and everything's going to be great. And then everyone starts turning them down. And then the score gets mm. a little bit lower and a little bit more bleak. And it, it dissipates a little bit more. You don't hear it quite as much. But then he hits this point where he's like, fuck this town. I'm going to fucking get these guys. I'm standing up for myself. And then the score starts to pick up a little bit. And it, it starts to get a bit, a little bit more drumbeat in the background. And he starts to can put a plan into effect. You know, like at the end, he has to use his basically his his guile and his uh and his uh, wit and and his skill to outdo these guys i mean he's got four guys gunning for him and also just a little bit of luck too he's got to use to, yeah. to fucking yeah, get yeah. well i mean i think there's a thing and i and uh <laughs> let's uh let's talk about some some minor characters here and there's one minor character that i definitely want to talk about and that's uh kitty harado as helen ramirez mm-hmm. this oh, is my... steam away from me daniel well why don't you why don't you do it then go Oh, no, I'm done. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, uh, this is by far my favorite character of the film. Um, oh, yeah. She's amazing. Uh, I think uh, the actress is, is really good. She's much more naturalistic than a lot of the other actors in the film. Um, it's also this sort of hint of a sort of kind of moral ambiguity because mm-hmm. she has, I mean, let's, let's, you know, she's a prostitute, you know, pr- pretty obviously, you know, she, she kind of owns, uh, the bar um but but you know it's it's they they can't you know it's 1952 so they can't just come out and say it the way they well, would yeah, today. that that guy comes up and he and she's about to leave he's basically well i really appreciate what you did for my shop and he mentions his wife briefly and then stops himself right and right. it's like basically what he's saying is I'm, I'm thanking you for being discreet and never mentioning the fact that we used to fuck on the side. That's yeah, exactly right, what he's exactly. saying. Right? Yeah, yeah. Which is, I mean, again, for 52, that was pretty risque. You know, that, that's... Yeah, no, yeah, absolutely. But the, thing the fact with that the... she's so, she's so, like, she knows what she is and she knows what she needs to do and she doesn't give a fuck at the same time, like, that whole attitude. But she's also the, the sort of the moral center. Like, she's the person <laughs> saying, like, well, what Will Kane is doing is right. You know, like yeah. he he's he's standing up for it. Although I think, I mean, here here's where I'm going to go with this. You know, <laughs> I don't think that like pure cowardice is the only reason to refuse to stand up with this guy. The whole logic of look, everybody in town kind of knows. Like, look, dude, you are fucking this girl, and like we learned that not only was Helen Ramirez she was she was uh, sleeping with uh, Will Kane for a while. But she was sleeping with Frank Miller, who's the big like bad guy who's coming into town, mm-hmm. and now she's sleeping with you know, that deputy, uh, Lloyd Bridges' character. Yeah, you know? yeah. Who, like, how can you look at Lloyd Bridges in this movie and not think of him in like the later comedy roles? You know? Well, I mean, you it's, it's weird. Three it's... dead queer. <laughs> he's also he's also like Triple he's supposed dinner. to be like twenty two or something, and he's actually yeah. like, thirty eight. You know? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. uh, <laughs> that's the only well, shit. 
I know uh, young, you'll, yeah, you have long shoulders, but you're still a boy. I'm like, dude, he's old as shit. Well, I mean, a, br- a brief mention on the on the ages of this, by the way. Will Kane, the character, is envisioned to be about thirty, uh, <laughs> old as hell. Gary Cooper was fifty at this point. Yeah, he looks it all- too. He looks every fucking bit of fifty. And also, hey, although uh, uh, I'll mention Lon, Ch- Lon Chaney Jr., who looks way older than Will Kane in this film. He was 45 at this point. Well, just... because, yeah, because he was an alcoholic that was about yeah. ready to die in two years. Yeah. So, I mean... Yeah. Uh, I mean like, yeah. Well, no, but they grade him up and stuff to make him look really old when mm-hmm. he did this. And he did the, he did a good job as the old guy. But the thing is, that act that Lon Chaney Jr. did, he does it in every fucking film he's in. Yeah. Uh, the well, only film I've ever seen him to actually like put a more emotion in was The Wolfman. Other than that... He's doing that. He's of mice and men. Every film he's ever been in. Yeah, I mean he's. I mean, yeah. uh, I mean, not to get too much into Lon Chaney Jr. at this point, but I mean, he he was a great Hollywood tragedy. I mean, so so much so much talent, so much talent squandered. But and honestly, um, I I, I'm just watching this going. Okay, can we just have the wife at Helen Scissor? Because it would just be better. (laughs) <laughs> like it would just that be would, better that would be a, that would be an alternate version of this film yeah I mean, yeah exactly because yeah that's Helen, the that's the, know, that's the point know, that it, know. hey if the porn parody people ever want to do high noon i mean that's yeah. gonna happen <laughs> yeah but overall this film like the thing is when i'm watching it though it starts off as these three guys obviously that have reputation you don't know what the reputation is right but they're walking through the town all the way to the train station you have this marriage and the guys are like, get the fuck out of here. You're the sheriff, but no big deal. Just go away, Marshal. Don't worry about it. This and this. And he's, hey, by the way, all the bandits are back in town. Ah, still get out of here. No big deal. Okay, I'm leaving. And then he goes, God, I can't go. I can't leave. I got to do my duty, right? He comes back. And everyone goes, oh, thank, thank God you're back. See you. Fuck off. Nobody wants him. They, they all want to play yeah, nice with like, him, though. Like, you know? They told him flat out, leave. Frank's coming back, but get out of here. So this is kind of what I was getting at is that like because they know that he has this relationship with Helen Ramirez, I think that there is this perception and I and I do wonder a remake of this could can kind of deal with that in a little bit more detail. I do think that there's this kind of implication that some of the history between these two guys, between uh, you know, the big bad and Frank Miller and uh, Will Kane is based around their sort of mutual antagonism. Oh, over is it more like a love right? triangle you know? kind of thing? Yeah, yeah, like a love yeah, triangle. Yeah. In fact, you get a little bit of this in uh, My Darling Clementine. Um, right. There is there's the same kind of element. <laughs> and, I, and I can't imagine that there's not, this isn't sort of referencing that, which was only, I think, a decade before at this, at the, at the time. Of not the even made. that, probably. Yeah, um, that, that's, the, that's the thing. They, they don't, they don't go deep enough. They just hint a little bit here and there yeah. that that that's the real reason the town wants this to go away because that love triangle is what caused so much problems before the town became exactly people, exactly. Right? And it feels like what we're getting is sort of the after effects of something that was happening before, and mm-hmm. uh, we're just supposed to get it in and sort of character beats, you know. Mm-hmm. And and that's where I think that I think the film. I mean, I think the film feels a little flat. In, in sort of yeah. like 2017 sense, I think in 52 maybe people it, it felt a little edgier and riskier. Um, but I think today we kind of expect a film like this to have a little bit more character nuance. And I, but I, but I well, do well, think that I do think that the various members of the town actually have a really good reason. Like if they think, look, this is a personal beat between you and and Frank Miller, 
Like fuck you, I'm not getting in between that. Right, like, right. That's right. a perfectly that's, that's, reasonable. Yeah. Like, like if you if you look at the fact that you took him to jail, right? Like you were saying, and go, yeah. you're doing her, you're doing her. You know what? That's up to you. That's on you. That certainly uh, that certainly changes your if you go with that narrative. That sort of changes your perspective on some of these characters. The guy who owns the the hotel and and the bartender in the saloon who welcome Frank Miller's gang back. That makes you wonder if Frank Miller's gang was ever really that bad to begin with. We, we, like, we get right. very little context. So really, all we get is that one like kind of ghostly line where he's like, "I'm going to kill you." But that, yeah. I mean, that could just be a personal thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it could have been. But the thing yeah. is, though, like I was waiting for more character building along that lines where Frank walks in, not Frank, excuse me, the marshal walks into the bar, hearing that guy saying, you know, ten to one odds that Frank, you know, this and that." And he punches him in the face, um, and he says, "You're carrying a star and a, and a gun. You you don't have the right to do that." I was waiting for him to say, "Next time, I'm going to shoot you," like to build up his attitude to deal with these people in the bar to get him on his side. Man, and he doesn't. He just backs away from that. He actually apologizes and then explains to these guys that. Okay, I know most of you guys are friends with Frank, but stand with me anyway. And I'm like. Yeah, that ain't gonna happen. This this conversation the... this conversation has definitely changed my thoughts on this film. I've I've got I can take you one level deeper there, Lee, if you're if you're willing to to, to kind of go here. Well, um, uh, I, I just I just yeah. want to mention though first that just changes my whole that just changes my whole thoughts on Helen Ramirez as she her the last shot of her going out on the uh, couch uh, going out to the the train. She, the she train, they, yeah. they they pass by uh, Will Kane. She's just she she knows she's the one who started all of this. Like she's the one that yeah. they fought over, and she's the reason. And she's just going to let this entire town burn down because of their feud mm-hmm. over her. Like that right. changes yeah, exactly. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Okay. Well, yeah. When I was watching it originally, I'm thinking both women, right? Both women are going to get off that train at, at, at different different spaces of time, so it, it gives, builds you know, a fact, but both women are going to get up and they're going to get guns and they're going to kill the bandits, both of them. But she just gets on the train knowingly, like as you were saying, and just drives off and never comes back. And I'm like, Whoa, that's classy. Look at that. That's pretty well, well, think, think, think about it this way. There's obviously still feeling between Helen and Will Kane. Right. Oh, and that was and yet, he's not, film, Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. And yeah, I mean, you get, I mean, you get that clearly. I mean, he even, like a white guy in a nineteen fifty two Western speaks a line of Spanish. Therefore yeah. that's there's like a deep love there, you know. That's that's um, deep. Yeah. You know. See yeah. Silo you, say when you look at her eyes and say uh that's it. Donde Estel so, El Baño, you know that shit's real, man. Yeah, that's, that's some serious shit. Yeah, there, there's so much. There's so, so much. So, so, but but there's there's a relationship there clearly. But mm-hmm. he isn't yeah. gonna be with her because she's the like Mexican whore, quote unquote. You know. Yes, I get you. He's yep. gonna go and be with Grace Kelly, and I'm not saying Grace Kelly at 22 was not gorgeous and amazing and yeah. et cetera, et cetera. Woo! But at the same time, but at the same time, like clearly the real relationship he has is with Helen Ramirez. Mm-hmm. So, so so that totally, makes me feel- totally that- much more. That, that, that makes that, that makes Will like he's he's just slut shaming the woman he really cares about. 
He's yeah. just like he's unwilling to kind of do that. He could go off and yeah. live with her in some other town, and everything would be fine. Except, I mean, like, she... he's a fucking racist shithead. Like Will Kane is the villain. That's what I'm telling you here, man. Uh, because I, I, and, I, I get what you're saying. Yes, but and, and, he, and, and I don't. Yeah. Look, I mean, like it's hard to look at it that way. At the same time, Will Kane's got a lot of fucked up issues. Yeah, at the uh, same, like at the <laughs> same time, I'm agreeing, but completely disagreeing, but completely like, agreeing with you. But the thing is, though, like, would they actually marry both of them? Would they actually marry them? I get the feeling that Will Kane, if we're going on this reading, this 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 extra deep dive here. Oh, we lost Lee. No, oh, it's okay. Well, the thing is, though, like, I get this vibe that 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 Helen didn't want that. At the same time, though, like yeah, she yeah, wanted no, no. to keep, I mean, keep she wanted to keep her independence. And yet, still have him. If you know yeah. what I'm trying, well, there, there, there may be there, there may be a read on that. I mean, and again, that could be a very 21st century kind of like yeah, no, you know, very she can't century. have. And I and I don't mean that as a negative. I mean that as a, like a you know she no, no, needed no, her no. economic and, and personal independence, and he was trying to yeah. get with her, and then he didn't. Again, it's just sort of like there's so much subtlety that yeah. we're losing. Well, that's um, one thing about with Helen that that I got very very strongly the independence. Like I am me, and that is it, and that is it, and that's it. I'm well, independent. The fact, the fact that Frank Miller is coming back into town, and she's all right. I'm getting out of here. I'm giving up everything <laughs> I ya. own. I am done. You whenever I see that stuff, I, it reminds me of one person. It reminds me of Ravenous. And remember in the end when she's like, "You know what, guys? Fuck off. I gotta go." And she just she, and she gets on that horse and she's like, I I'm not even gonna get on the horse. I'm just gonna run away. See you later, guys. And I'm like, that's what that reminds me of to this day. And she goes, Well, she I even get she out even was like, later. she even like brings the guy in. It's like, what's this place? You know, what would you offer me for this place? He's like, well, it's worth two thousand. And uh, what well, can you give me that? And he's like, well, I can give you a thousand. All right, give me the rest in six months. And he's like, great. And he feels like he's gotten a great deal on this. Like she, she um, he gives yeah, away on an hour's notice at fire sale prices. That's well, how much she did well, not. Well, the funny be thing there. is, what you don't actually see is on, off camera. She puts on her Reebok pumps and pumps them up because she's running for her fucking life. Yeah, yeah. Am I back? Yep. <laughs> You're back. back, Lee. Okay. Yeah, good. you're back. You're back. Sorry, we, we lost you, and then we just. <laughs> no, I, I was just enjoying this conversation. Um, if you go back into the deep dive of of what we're going into here of the uh, unwritten story that's been going on, Will Kane was sowing his wild oats back in the day. He was he was a bad man. He was a bad yeah, man. He became indoctrinized to the system after a while. So there, there's almost resonance here with Unforgiven, yeah. uh, where where you have Clint Eastwood playing this guy who married the Quaker wife and fucking became a quote-unquote good man who was saved and was taken away from his wicked ways. That's what Will Cain's doing right now. He, he's he's yeah. trying to distance himself from his past by marrying Grace Kelly's character. High, high, high Noon is mistakenly seen as a sort of paragon of moral rectitude movie, you know, whereas really it's it's the first, and in some cases, viewed through this lens, one of the best of the revisionist westerns. Yeah, and, and again, just watch that bar scene. He walks in and just punches that guy right in the face. You know he's a bad mm-hmm. dude. A guy who ends up a marshal in a little town like this, who actually like cleans up the town, who, you know, these places, they existed in this place because there's mining or there's some oil 
or there's some gambling or there's some kind of like economic incentive for these little towns to exist. That's why these places existed. These are like roughneck motherfuckers running around all the time. And if you make it safe for like, you know, polite society, basically what you're saying is I got rid of all the economic development. Basically, I fucked up everything like people could come in and like like look pretty well the, i mean we, we can go like, back let's go back over to uh, uh for, for, let's go back to the four of the apocalypse of the mormons what did they do to clean up their town didn't they slaughter everybody yeah pretty much yeah and you know what i mean Let, let's go back to another western link that up what did, what did Cain do and let, what did those mormons do they they took care of the bad guys in the bad ways but they didn't let everybody know about it. Like, also, you've also got to think that this is in '52. This is us telling, this is us as Americans telling our own history, right? About what our what uh, actually happened. About what happened, and we're telling the like sanitized version. We're doing this, mm-hmm. so we're making these sort of these good versus evil things. Versus things were not this simple. Everybody in that town, basically, he's been marshal for five years, and he's kind of going off to go open a general store because he married a Quaker wife or whatever. But at the same time, you know, five years is not that long a time. Everybody in this town has blood on their hands. Well, the question is, did he come in with blood on his hands and he cleaned himself up a little bit? Uh, sorcerer, may I mention? Like, yeah, hides, sure. hides, away, <laughs> hides away in another town and cleans it up and then tries to make another life for himself. But uh, things like that, for instance, if you really look at it. And, and one thing, can I mention one thing about the film? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you no. got three guys waiting at a train station for like 20 fucking hours and you can't make 20 fucking people go out and kill them hello yeah they they don't want to i mean that's the thing they they like, want this gang back like, yeah the thing is though the three dudes at the train walk through the town like everybody knows him but nobody wants to fuck with them but the guy they're afraid of didn't get there yet well I can't get everybody with a gun drive out there and mow them down in the fucking road yeah and that's then the thing. drive they don't back want to. Yeah. They don't want to. Ah, the thing is, though, they could have. They could have. They could have, and they don't want to. Yeah, like, I... Mr. H- Mr. Hotshot in the fucking uh, uh, sheriff station waiting for the marshal to get back could have went out there with him. No fucking. Yeah, but the, the funny thing is, when he gave up his gun, it was two on four. He acts like it was two on twelve. But yeah, uh, I'll also mention uh, Helen Ramirez uh, is basically the Latino Morti- Morticia Adams. She, she looks just like, <laughs> I was like, whoa, she's, she's fucking hot. Yeah. Oh, yeah. she's great. I, I'm serious. She is my favorite character in, in this Mine film. Mine too. And, uh, Mine too. Yeah. The, reason, the reason I wanted to cover this film was just to, to talk about her, honestly. And the, so, <laughs> the no, like, no, like she walked into frame and I'm like, what? What's going on? Yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah, this, this conversation has definitely changed my thoughts on this film. Actually, I like this film more now that, that we talked about. I'm it. so sorry, Lee. <laughs> it, it took me i mean i saw it again i saw it many years ago and then kind of rewatched it and then like again just sort of thinking about it and thinking about sort of the history i mean it's been like a slow burn for me to kind of get to the point of no actually in effect seeing 310 to yuma then then coming back to high noon kind of gave me some more perspective on it so uh right. you know. and i and, and we have some good things to say about 310 to yuma too and some bad things so i mean it's you have bad things to say about 310 to yuma I have a bunch of bad things to say. No, no, that's right, well, 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 we'll see. Uh, we'll get into some uh, quick trivia here. Uh, so, yeah, Lee Van Cleef was actually originally uh, going to do the uh, Deputy Harvey Pell role. Um, but oh. uh, but Stanley Kramer decided that uh, his uh, nose was too hooked, 
quote unquote, which made him <laughs> look like a villain. You knows, bastard. And he, he told, <laughs> and, and and he told Lee Van Cleef get it fixed, get it fixed, and Lee Van Cleef told him go get fucked. And mm-hmm. so he he had no lines, and he's the second guy killed in the in the in the yeah, firefight. But, yeah, or whatever. But he's he actually the stopped. first person you see in the film. Yeah, he's actually, like, yeah, he is the number he's the one. Like, yeah, he's the number one guy. Like, like, I do remember seeing this film the first time and going like, "Oh, is that Lee Van Cleef?" Like, yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, Gregory Peck said he 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 actually ended up turning this film down, and he that was one of his biggest regrets of his career. Apparently, was um, yeah, going to be the I Gary bet. Cooper role. Yeah, he was going to be in the Gary Cooper role, which. Oh, yeah. Oh wow! I, I, th- I think he could have worked in that as well. I think. Oh he yeah, could've... I mean the Gary Cooper role. I mean it's not that Gary Cooper isn't good in the role. I mean we haven't really thought too much about his performance. It's a it's a nice performance, but like it's it's a standard male lead in this kind of movie at this point. You know? Right. Gregory right. Peck would have been the, awesome. the one thing that I will say that he always looked old and tired. Yeah, and I mean. I think we've talked about this in the podcast before. A lot of these like classic uh, Hollywood actors, um, your Humphrey Bogarts and your Gary Coopers, where they did so much smoking and drinking back in the day, where even in their forties they looked like they were in their fucking sixties, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, and I mean, Gary Cooper uh, on this shoot, he had a stomach ulcer that I believe was bleeding at the time and a bad oh, back. Jesus. So, oh. Yeah. So he was not doing very so, well. Uh, climbing the ladder up to the fucking hay fucking shoot shoot. That probably not what very good. Not he good did he all. did his fight scene with Lloyd Bridges as well. He did he, oh, he wow. didn't have a he stuntman did, yeah. in it. So yeah. uh yeah. just uh how about you guys just I don't mind the film at all, but I'm just saying in future put people that close to the age you're supposed to no, I I think it um, works. I mean there there was trepidation from the actual producers, like we need someone young. But they ended up getting Gary Cooper. And... Well, the thing is, though, when I first watched this film, my first thing was when they were doing the wedding scene. I was like, "Oh, some weird arranged creepy marriage where that guy's gonna beat the shit out of the girl and someone's gonna shoot him." That's well, what I thought I... when I first watched the film. Well, like, and, and I mean, let's 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 get real. A man in his fifties marrying a girl who's twenty-two would not at all have been out of the ordinary. No, and, that's what know, I mean. 18, like that's the 80, whole point you know, though. That's yeah, what yeah. I thought it was. You know, as soon as I saw I mean, it. I was... <laughs> Let's just be thankful it wasn't a Roy Moore special. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> We're keeping that's it topical, true. ladies and gentlemen. Um <laughs> uh, so uh, Woody original... Allen special of high noon coming yeah. at ya. So the the original music, uh we'll just go on to this again. Uh Dimitri Tompkin uh, I I have to disagree with Jeff Williams' comment. I think that theme behind it kind of sells the movie. But at the same time, I'm starting to think a little differently since this conversation about about him not being the hero of this. It, it's, it's, it starts to become kind of sadly ironic more than anything yep. else. The peekaboo uncle is coming for you. So... Maybe you're right, Jeff Williams. Maybe you're right. But I do think it's still a great score, and I can see where Leone drew from that idea of, like, let's pair characters to music and really make it operatic and interesting. So mm-hmm. I, I kind of like that idea. Well, it's not just Leone, but, like, the the Spaghetti Westerns. I think of the, the Grand Duel used right. the mm-hmm. same theme over and over and over again. And I love that theme, so I was fine with that. But it does kind of rely on you just liking that theme. I did find a Lee Van Cleef LP, but however, I I don't know the title because it's all in Italian, so I didn't know what 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 movie it was, so I didn't buy it. I'm gonna check it out. I'm gonna check it out. If you find a Lee Van Cleef LP, you just buy it. 
fight. Yeah, well, I, bought, I want to. I want to hear it. Daniel, <laughs> yeah. Daniel, I just. I don't want to get you upset. I bought a Morricone score when I was there. Well, how dare you buy Morricone score? Because those are always terrible. Actually, no, Morricone is the greatest. Oh, yeah, the one you yeah, bought yeah. was what? Uh, uh, Black Belly of the Tarantula? It was, it, was, it was the Black Belly of the Tarantula. Yeah, I right, did. Right. I bought that one. And I'm going to go back and I'm going to buy the Lee Van Cleef one. I just want you to know that so you don't get upset. Cool. Cause I, I'm, cause not I'm, upset. I'm not upset. It's fine. It's fine. I'm happy. I'm happy for you. I want to hear that. Um, yeah, yeah, no. Woo-hoo! Yeah, so uh, budget for this was uh, seven hundred thirty thousand. Box office overall, I believe this is just domestic, was eight million. Yeah. Uh, so this is a massive eight million. Massive yeah, 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 yeah. Jesus Christ! Uh, <laughs> yeah, DVD info for this. Uh, Artisan released uh, two different DVD versions, nineteen ninety eight and two thousand two. Two thousand two is the special edition version that has all kinds of extra stuff. Lionsgate uh, released a two disc DVD in two thousand eight. And all of films released a Blu-ray in 2012 and 2016. I'm actually kind of surprised Criterion has not jumped on this one yet. I guess they just well, can't secure the rights. It's it's Probably very nice to know that High Noon was a complete and total flop. Yeah, it's a, you know just completely forgotten by film history. Yeah, like, nobody ever <laughs> noticed this before. Yeah, yeah. The, the, eight it, million. Only, this obscure film has only been brought up on this obscure podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're we're gonna. It's gonna be like another perfect timing. Ultimately, yeah, you know yeah. where people are gonna have to seek it out. You know, find some like VHS rip from twenty years ago and go like, oh my god, that was like an underrated masterpiece. I will be happy though because we have done some underrated masterpieces on this film. I just don't think this is one of them. Yeah, you know, hey, maybe we've I, introduced this to some people. Who knows? I, I, th- I think what we've done is introduced a very different reading than most people would give to this. Yeah, film. I'm actually very happy. I, I, think, I, think, I uh, they must be they must be destroyed on site. The main point of this podcast is now to introduce un like rare, beautiful films. To Paul. Well, that's that's, <laughs> that's actually that, that's actually kind of always been the goal. Since yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's really really what I think it is is we're all sharing films with each other. Yeah. And yes. Like, yes. Like, here's here's where I land. Nobody's seen it. But everything. that's beautiful. No, that's beautiful. Nobody's seen everything. There's stuff that I love that I share with you guys. There's stuff that you guys love and you share with me. It's it's all we're just sharing stuff that we like or think is interesting. And, we and what the Care Bear said, sharing is caring. That's right. Care Bear stare. That's right. That's, that's, yeah. That's... <laughs> oh, yeah, I stare at my penis. Yeah. And on that note, we're going to break off to some music, and we'll be back with another film. Do not forsake me, oh, my darling. On this our wedding day Do not forsake me, oh my darling Wait, wait long I do not know what fate awaits me I only know I must be brave And I must face a man who hates me A liar coward A craven coward A liar coward in my grave 
be torn twixt love and duty. Supposing I lose my fair half beauty. Look at that big hand move along near in high noon. He made a vow while in state's prison. Thought it would be my life or his. I'm not afraid of death, but oh, what will I do? Not forsake me, oh my darling. You made that promise as a bride. Do not forsake me, oh my darling. Although you're grieving, I can't believe in now that I need you by my side. Wait long, wait long, wait long, wait long. So we're back. 310 to Yuma, 1957, directed by Delmer Davies. There is a lonely train called the 310 to Yuma. The pounding of the wheels is more like a mournful sigh. There's a legend and See the ghosts of outlaws go riding by, riding by. In, the sky. in the sky. Think you'll ever get back to Bisbee? No, it don't look like it. I ain't complaining. I got something to remember. Don't move. It's the marshal, Wade. Got a shotgun on you. Soon it would be 310. The glasses were empty. The guns were loaded. Soon a man, scared but brave, would run an outlaw gauntlet to put a prisoner on the gallows bound train to Yuma. Dan! They're coming. Get the sheriff. Tell him to get as many deputies as he can. The sheriff's out of town. What? What do you mean he's out of town? He took a prisoner of Tucson. You know, when I was having supper at your house last night, I got to thinking maybe someday I'd like to have a wife. Must be real nice, having a couple of boys like that to ride out with every morning, and then a woman like that every night. I told you before to shut up. Now you say just one more word and I'll cut you down now. Don't go through with it, dear. No, I've got to. Oh, Dan, I don't want a hero. I want you. You know, I never have been able to give you very much. And sometimes not even enough food for you and the boys. Well, maybe this will be something worth remembering. What are you saying? End of the line, mister. 
written by Halstead Wells, who did the screenplay based on the story by Elmore Leonard. Starring Glenn Ford as Ben Wade. Glenn Ford, by the way, we talked about him in Strigulum. He was the detective in Strigulum. Um, and also, Paul, our friend uh, Jamie uh, Zinger, he looks just like Glenn Ford. I I realized that tonight <laughs> watching it, it's like Jamie looks oh, just like Jamie. fucking Glenn Ford. It's amazing. Van Helfen as Dan Evans. Felicia Farr as Emmy. Uh, Lenora Donna as Miss Alice Evans. Henry Jones as Alex Porter. The Town Drunk. Richard Jekyll as Charlie Prince. Robert Imhart as Mr. Butterfield, Sheridan Cormate as Bob Moons, George Mitchell as Bartender, Robert Elnstein as Ernie Collins, and Ford Rainey as the Bisbee Marshal. And uh, I'll go to the quick little synopsis here from DVD Beaver. For $200, the sum he desperately needs to save his land from drought. A small-time farmer, Helfen, agrees to escort a notorious outlaw, Ford to the state penitentiary in Yuma. Hold up in a hotel to await the train with the outlaws gang gathering in force outside. The escort finds himself in effect the prisoner. Nonetheless, although the financial incentiment uh, evaporates. Incentive? It's incentive. No, it no inducement. Actually, I'm oh, totally wrong. Oh, wow. You're you're taking one word. You're taking two words and turn them into one. Inducement. Actually, insists in sentiment. All right. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's the whiskey, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Uh, he's offered more, and also in brackets, he's offered more to let matters slide by both the outlaw and the town's alarmed mayor. He insists on fulfilling his contract. I would I would like to make one correction. Okay. He wasn't a drunk. He had rheumatism. Okay. <laughs> so, so, so the so so the woman in his life said yes. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so uh, his rheumatism uh, is acting up again. You know. Okay, so I'm 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 pretty goddamn excited to get into this because our high noon conversation has changed my thoughts on this film, and I'm interested to see what Daniel has to say about this first. So, Daniel, when's the first time you watched this, and what are your sort of general thoughts? I actually saw this, um, I, I'm actually now remembering the first time I saw High Noon, and I'm pretty sure I did, like, rent the DVD from Netflix. So there was a time in my life when I got off work at, like, 4 o'clock, right? And then, like, the last drop-off, the last pickup at the local mail slot, uh, the local, like, post office near me was, like, 6.30 or something. So if I got a Netflix DVD, I could watch it. I could get home from work and watch it and then, like, take it in and then get another one the next day, nice. which was great, you know? Uh, or like a day later, like if I stagger them properly, I could right. I could be on the like constantly getting new DVDs thing. So I watched a bunch of movies during this time period. And I know that the kids listening will not understand what I mean by yeah DVDs. DVDs through the mail, like that's a you know I'm an old man. It's fine, but I did watch both High Noon and Three Tinted Yuma during this time period, and it's actually really like. When you're in that sort of headspace, there is something to where, like, when everything is just streaming and you just click on something and you, like, watch three minutes and kind of go, yeah, I'll watch something else, you know? Right. But when you actually have a DVD and you're like, well, I want to watch this, I want to kind of get through it or not, or you have to kind of actively decide. It's an actual investment in a right, DVD. Right, right, yeah. yeah. So, so you actually kind of sit and watch more stuff that maybe you wouldn't kind of put the energy into otherwise. I watched both of these around the same time. Um, uh, 2007 or so. So about 10 years ago, and then again, I rewatched it fairly recently. 
I was just kind of watching some old Westerns and just, again, I really connect these two movies in my mind for reasons, which I think will become obvious as we discuss them. Do you want my thoughts as well? Or was that just yeah. like, so, so let's, let's take back the alternate reading of high noon that uh, we kind of worked through in the previous bit where high noon is kind of about Gary Cooper is the morally erect, you know, sheriff, you know, Marshall who's saving the day from the bad guys. This is kind of a response to that. And this is very Elmore Leonard, by which our hero in this is basically a loser. I mean, he's a guy who's working like a, a poor farm. He's kind of a shitty husband. I mean, he's good to his wife or whatever, but he's working in poverty. He's got two sons. Scraping by. He's a little bit of a coward. He's just a guy. He's just, a, you know, he's just a guy. <laughs> He's any of us. Me. He's any of us. He's any of us, right? You know? he's, he is the common man. Like he's very. I much the, the, fall. I'm the common man. He, he, he's <laughs> he's he's the blue collar worker who keeps his head down and doesn't say right, anything. Right. It's all about how this one guy, you know, placed in the right situation, forced into it, will actually do the right thing. But then again, it also kind of questions about what the right thing really is in some right. ways. Right. Right. Um, yeah, because the thing is that that two hundred dollars. I mean, that's the number. On his chivalry, is that sure. really the price? Well, is in two hundred dollars, two hundred dollars, and yeah, I think like eighteen eighty or whatever this oh, no, is. I mean, this is you yeah, know, that's a lot of money. It's, it's, it's a lot of money. I mean, if, if two dollars is a day's wage and like hundred dollars is a day's wage today, then you know, I mean, you're talking like you know ten thousand well, dollars. I always find it very odd when you put a price on chivalry. Honestly, this is this is not a price on chivalry. Uh, on chivalry, chivalry, Jesus, I can't even say either. Goddamn, we, we've all gotten to that point. Chivalry, chivalry, chivalry. Yes, I thank you, Daniel. Right the, I said it right the second time. Yeah. Okay. So it's not so much a price on chivalry. 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 Yes, no. I said it right. Don't you don't have to correct me? Um, Easy. I was helping. <laughs> I was helping. You were helping. It's helping. not so much a price on that word. Uh, it, it, <laughs> it, it, it's a price on the difference between destitution and desperation compared to solving all of his immediate problems. Within six months, the rain will come, maybe. Trying to keep him, himself and his wife and his kids from starving to death. Can I just set the stage of what his situation is? He, oh, please. He, Go ahead. Okay, so it's he... he is, well... <laughs> So, <laughs> goddamn. So he, he he's, he's a cattle rancher who has been basically th- desperately sort of surviving through a drought where everything's just been going wrong. He's he's at the point now where he should be asking for money to try to just get through, but he does. He he's a guy of principle to a certain degree where he doesn't want to be in debt or anything like that. So. So he he's at his wit's end, and his wife is, why don't you just ask someone to give you some money? Because you're a stand-up guy. The people in town know you're a stand-up guy. Someone will loan you some money for this hard time. And he's like, no, we're, we're not going to do that. We're, we're, we're going to work through it. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to provide for our kids. And that's where he's sort of sitting at this point. Yeah, sure. And I mean, he, he's a he's a good man. He's a he's a hardworking, you know, farmer trying nice. to get through his day. I mean, I mean, I, I'm the same way. He's stubborn. And he, yeah, but, he, but he, he runs across this crime being committed. And his response is basically like, well, this doesn't involve me, which I mean, look, how many how many times have you 
you know, just kind of driven past the situation and been like, yeah, that's, you know, I don't have, I don't know, that, that's not uh, anything. But there's, mitigating. there's, there's mitigating circumstances here. Cause if he had done anything, him no, and the he kids would have been killed. killed. Yeah, yeah, no, no. I mean, that's what I'm saying. This is the rational response. Um, and, and it's not even rational. It's the natural response that anyone has and the true response that people yeah. have. Um, yeah. I don't blame him. I don't blame him at all for that. Oh, no, 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 no. Then he goes to the guy he was going to ask money from, and uh, the guy's like, well, you know, can't do can't do anything for you. Sorry. They're asking him, like, dude, you're the best shot we know. You should come and help us out. And he's like, no, I'm not going to do this. Then when uh, he gets turned down for money, he comes out, the the banker guy. So there's this stagecoach that's been robbed, and there's, like, gold underneath the uh, the big tarp. This is something I'm going to come back to. So I just want to emphasize that. No, no, no yeah. You, I know what you're saying. I know you you're know, getting that. The guy's offering $200 to, you know, whoever will kind of help bring in this criminal. And he's like, he doesn't care. He doesn't, he doesn't even know anything about it. Somebody's offering him $200, which is the amount of money he needs to get six months worth of rights to like water. move his cattle to the water of the guy yeah. in the ranch next to door, essentially. Like yeah. that's, he's yeah. just trying to get water, which, oh my God, let's talk about water rights in the, in the American West, you know, et cetera. This is, this is the complete bullshit system anyway, but he's just trying to get that access. That's all he's trying to do. And he's willing to like risk his life and risk the life, of, literally the life of his family. He doesn't even know anything about it. And then the whole like events of the film kind of follow from there. I love how intricate this is. I love how one of the things we're talking about high noon is it's really just a bunch of conversations. It's just, it does kind of get into some moral complexity of who's right and who's wrong. And like, there are different opinions and all this it, sort of thing. It yeah. does but get it's very, a lot into the, kind of, like when you really get into it, it has a lot of that tension and breaking point tension. Of yeah, the human psyche, yeah. which is very, very tension building, which is beautiful about this film. Yeah, it does, yeah. it does well, do tension very well. Well, yeah, I, I and and here's uh, I'll I'll just briefly uh, mention and then uh, go back to you, Daniel. Um, when I was originally considering these two films, I felt like Three Ten to Yuma was much more of bare bones, just exercise and suspense and tension compared to High Noon. Now I'm switching my opinion here where I feel like 310 to Yuma does it better, where there there's more resonance in the actual conversations between the characters in 310 to Yuma than there is in High Noon. Yeah. Whereas originally I thought High Noon was more of the uh, steadfast, well, think about right think- conversations. I'm, I'm agreeing with you. I'm agreeing with you. But think about, let, let's go back to High Noon. Think about Frank Miller. What do we know about Frank Miller? Nothing really other Jack than he shit. Other he's than he introduced, was but what other people put on him. He's introduced at the very end of the film. He puts on a gun belt and then comes in with a white hat and starts shooting people. That's and then he and then he's not even good at it. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Whereas uh, Ben Wade, we we know him from the beginning. We mm-hmm. we're really introduced to him before we're introduced to our hero. Right? He's a sensitive man. He's a he's a decent fellow. He has like a again. My favorite character in the film is the barmaid, uh, Emmy Felicia Farr. I will watch her pour drinks all day long. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and I will. I will say like it, it. It's really it's really unfortunate that she's only really in the first half of the film and then she's gone. She, she she's well, gone. No no. Even before that, 
Yeah. All you see is him stop a fight the the hard way. He did it the cold way, but he stopped the fight. Told he just, dude, I need your I need your horses, but I'll give them back. And right, right. I mean, this, I think where's, I think where's this guy does, from? Because he does he does kind of the bare minimum, but I think he also like he didn't have to shoot the guy quite as quickly. However, later however, on, though, like later, for, later on, he tries to pretend like, no, 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 it was him or me, dude, you know, but, but, no, it, but, like, if, but if you look, no. but if you, I mean, I understand that. I'm not saying that especially, but if you look at what he did after, like, like, hey, like this guy, make sure he's okay. Oh, is he dead? Well, where's he from? Okay. Make sure he goes back there. Like, yeah. as far as I'm concerned, the hard, hard West, I'm surprised he didn't get laid there and, no one ever cared about him. So, well, I mean, sure, sure. like, I mean, he's, he's a, doing, he is, I, I hate to say he's doing nice things. He's definitely portrayed as sort of the sensitive, he's the bad guy. We're supposed to think of him that way, but yeah. he's also definitely a, yeah. a if, you, if, if you look at other yeah. bad guys, he's very, very sensitive. This, this is, I'll, I'll, I'll just, I'll just <laughs> mention this briefly and then we'll go back to Daniel's uh, thoughts on this. But this is another revisionist Western and early example of that. But here you really get the sense of shades of gray with the guy who is quote unquote the villain. He's much more honorable. He, he he has a code of honor, a moral standard that he sticks to. And this film is much more a conflict of two codes of honor that aren't that different from each other, but they're on different sides of the lock. So uh, I'll go back to you, Daniel. And uh, sure. no, no, I'm, I'm I'm down with that. I think that that even in some ways that I agree with that reading, but I think it oversimplifies in a way, in a way because it's well, not yeah, even... I, I was trying to oversimplify it. Yeah, yeah, no, no, <laughs> I, I know that I know that you were. I'm not trying to be insulting or anything. I'm no, just trying he, to he that has up. to for me, not for you. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you said it, I didn't, so, you know. (laughs) (laughs) These characters are, I mean, the thing is that, oh, man, do I want to go into this? Yes, I do. This is that episode. This is where we go into it. He has a clear throat. This is serious. We're digging. We're digging. I've been been drinking a little whiskey. It's fine. It's fine. We still got to talk. We still got to talk about the barmaid too. So, um, do it. Three Chin to Yuma is definitely influenced by noir. There's no question that this is. Oh yeah, yeah. It it is a film noir. I I consider it that. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely. Um, I mean, it's. Uh, we're gonna do uh, spoiler. We're gonna do Bad Day at Black Rock, which is like even more this, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but there's there's very much a noir element to this, in the sense of uh, the way that it portrays this sort of shades of gray, and the way that it it kind of kind of treats some of these elements of morality. For me, the key to understanding it is to understand, you know, within these films, within a western, you know, we're kind of expecting there's a good guy and a bad guy, and the, the bad guy is the guy who kills the guy at the beginning of the film, right. and then there's a good guy who's gonna come in, but this film fucks with that and this is a very elmore leonard thing as well i mean this mm-hmm. the, the original story was written by elmore leonard and then you realize elmore leonard had a career that dates back to 1950 fucking seven yeah. yes he did yes he did the idea that we're not given context for any of this you know we're just kind of presented i mean very early in the film we have um van heflin uh, as dan evans who says oh that must be ben wade's gang ben wade's gang like that's a thing that we're suddenly supposed to kind of process as oh these are the bad guys but then when we're presented with this within the film when we're presented with him we don't see him as a bad guy he's telling so, the marshal about shit's going on like how you <laughs> i don't understand that's the thing about elmore lynn's writing is we learn characters through other characters 
perceptions of people. Right, right. Well, and through their actions, we're we're kind of giving mm-hmm. them we're kind of giving this perspective. Actions, I mean, actions do speak louder than words. Yeah, we're given a sense of like who these people, how they interact together. And so it is kind of making us ask the question of why is this guy bad? And then, okay, let's, let's, I'll just, I'll just, you know, all of these towns, these towns that these people are, are going are completely oppressed with poverty, you yeah. know, because there's mm-hmm. no water, there's no money, there's no anything. A tiny amount of money would mean the world to this guy, to our hero in this film. And yet he's enlisted by the banker to suddenly go out and kill this other guy or go and go and like arrest this other guy, then it makes us ask the question of like, well, why is the system set up this way? You know, where does money come from? Where's this gold coming from? You know, and that's a question that, I mean, the film isn't asking that question, but we can ask the question of the film. We can ask the question because the film is showing this guy buying drinks for everybody in the house, plus more money on top of it. Every time he goes to a fucking casino or a bar. Yeah, he, goes, he walks in. He goes, "Here's this." Plus, oh, by the way, I just dropped some more money. It's, on the it's table. not hard to imagine. It's not hard to. I mean, look, Ben Wade is probably a murderer and a horse thief and etc. and a bad guy. But it's not hard to imagine him in another world. You know, we don't know his background, so it's not hard to imagine right. him in another world being. Oh, maybe he was a decent stand-up guy who just was well, given a really that, shitty hand. That's, you know? that's the reading. That's the reading I get from the performance from Glenn Ford, where. He's a response to this whole territory is oppressed by the fact that this this banker Butterworth or Butter whatever, <laughs> Butterworth uh, yeah Butter Butter ass whatever the fuck his name is Butterfield ah! Butterfield Butterfield, Butterfield. 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 I think Butterworth Butter yeah, Butterworth but, but, you I mean, Butter ass you motherfucker. But I mean oh, you, yeah I mean Dusty Rhodes would say motherfucker motherfucker <laughs> but but, <laughs> but I mean. This this guy is he he comes down on on Van Helfen like he's manna from heaven. He's giving this guy this super chance to make tons of money, or at least the money he needs. But where is he giving money to anybody else? Right? Yeah. Like where where is he where is he helping anybody else? This this guy is totally out for himself. It's all self interest, and he's running a company that is making money off of all these towns in this territory that are just just suffering they're they're all fucking out of money out of the it has rained for forever leonard and the the screenwriters the film gives us this context through emmy mm-hmm. the bar the bartender who yeah. i mean again such an amazing character and i and i hate to i hate to be this guy well, but like she, she she naps between two and three I, I don't understand why she's not in the rest of the film. I don't understand I, I, why I, she's I, not. I because it's 1957. Well, if you look at the time she said she's napping, don't you understand? <laughs> no, no, no. Well, <laughs> she well, she napped for the rest of the film. But so, I mean, so here's the thing. She's, she's the girl who humanizes, who helps to humanize Ben, ben Wade, Wade yeah. right? You know? So Ben Wade shows up, and she just... Like she just owns the screen. This is a very like femme fatale kind of move, right? She's gonna the, come in. She's gonna pour the drinks. She's gonna yeah. talk. 
She's going to be the thing. She's going to, like, there's a totally, like, she fucks the dude thing, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I, I, I was waiting for that whole, I walk into bars with, like, six guys at the same time. Every time someone pours a drink, they go, where's my money? They never go down the whole fucking line. I get the feeling, like, she's used to a bunch of guys showing up. And she yeah. fills in, yeah, no, like no, somebody I'm pays saying, her. No, like okay, she, like look, she knows this context. That's the thing. Yeah. Like she knows, like oh, yeah. these guys have been out there. Like one of these guys is going to throw me a lot of cash at the end. That's how this works. She genuinely. Oh no, no, like, she genuinely gets and, off and, on and, on Ben yeah. Wade. And, and, and you know, that, you know. And, and actually, no. now that I think about it again. I'm going from the context of how you guys have revised my thoughts in High Noon compared to 310 to Yuma, where I thought High Noon was the better movie. Spoilers. Now I think 310 to Yuma is the better movie. This is probably now my biggest complaint of this movie is that she's not in it more because the scenes between her and Ben Wade, that builds expectation for something else to come. Can I ruin your 310 to Yuma for a second? Go ahead, ruin it. Whatever. I'm just gonna say, I was watching. I was watching that right, and I loved it. I loved it. I really did. And you know what it reminded me of? Lightning Jack. <laughs> <laughs> it did. Um, I'm not saying it's a bad film because of that, but it reminded me of Lightning Jack. Hold on, hold on. You were reminded by of the Paul Hogan, Cuba Gooding Jr. <laughs> comedy <laughs> from the mid nineties. Uh, I'm just saying, it reminded me of Lightning Jack in a good way, not a bad way, but yeah. in a good way. Yeah. But I mean, I'll, I don't yeah, know if you can be reminded of Lightning Jack in a good way. I don't know if that's a possible <laughs> that exists. Quite frankly, oh, Jesus, I like no. that film. I like it a lot. I still have it. I have that, and I have the Cherokee Kid. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> hold on, hold on you, know, you know that scene in Stagecoach it reminded me of Wagon's East but in a good way <laughs> and you know, you know Lee, that scene in Outland it reminded me it reminded me of the adventures of Pluto Nash but in a good way calm down, calm down Daniel now calm down I think you're way out of line man you're okay, we, we gotta stop because I've already spilled <laughs> half a glass of this. I'm That's, trying. I'm not. I'm really not trying to ruin it. I just no, it, it's it's it, okay. It's it's all right. But in I a gotta good say, way. In a good way. Okay, uh, I'll accept that. Because he's that. very he's very very smooth with that bartender, and you know that that relationship has been there for more than just a second. Especially when he said about, "Have you ever been like the San Francisco?" Yeah, I've been there. You know, like, oh, my God, oh, there's something going on. He, he, I mean, there's definitely a relationship that's built there. And then it's very clear (laughs) that, like, maybe he saw her in Cheyenne, I think, which is where, like, she said, oh, I was there before. Like, so he he saw her there. I also, I mean, just, just to, I mean, I I don't want to, I think the, the, uh, that scene between uh, Uma Thurman and uh, David Carradine at the beginning of uh, Kill Bill Volume 2 where they're uh, standing outside the, the chapel. There is some very clear visual reference in that. Like, now, now you're going too far. You know? No, um, I, I, I honestly don't think he is. Uh, no, he's not, obviously. I'm just saying that. I'm just saying that. No, no, Tarantino, Tarantino, Tarantino. You should go further. No, no, there's no question. There's no question. Okay, so I'm going to jump over, though. Paul, is this the first time you're seeing this for this podcast, and what are your sort of general thoughts on this? What's your term of first? 
scene. Like, well, the first time I ever saw this was High Midnight last night. <laughs> okay. So, Good. <laughs> yes. So you saw yeah. this before you saw High Noon? Yeah. Just <laughs> before High Noon. I saw High oh, Noon at uh, uh, High 2 a.m. And I saw this one at High Midnight. <laughs> so, yeah. Is it High 2 a.m. in the sense of like you were high on marijuana or something? I will not talk about this in this jump. Okay, no, that's fair. That's fair. I'm, not, yeah. I'm not asking you to. Um, but no, I definitely saw this, and I got a lot of good vibes. The one thing, though, Ford, man, I got this devil's advocate vibe from him. Yeah. Hardcore. So hardcore. He is so devil's advocate. He was playing that guy. The, his devi- He has a devious face about him the whole film. Very I, I, again, I'll I'll, uh, I'll point to our mutual friend Jamie from the beer chats, who is basically a devil's advocate and an evil person. Yes, he is too. He is that little <laughs> son of a bitch. Yeah. Uh, anyone want to bounce off that one? What What are your sort of uh, just sort of general thoughts on this one, though? Well, overall, if you want to approach it as a western, it's good. Uh, I like the whole vibe. I like the happy ending. I do. However, I understand why they remade it. I'm not going to talk about the remake right now. I don't like it, but I understand why they did it. They wanted the fucking nasty end, the whole deal, blah, blah, blah. Everybody gets shot up. I've never seen the remake, and I've never seen it for precisely the reason that I love the original. I, do, I don't like the remake. I used to own it. I gave it away. Lee and I will talk about it later. But yeah. anyway, the original, Dan, I'm just going to call him Dan. Dan, I understand what he's saying. I understand what he's trying to do, but he's an idiot. And he's an idiot the whole fucking film. The fucking guy's an idiot. But he wants to get after that thing because his family. Like, I get that. I've done the same thing. I've done the whole stupid movements for this family, for this money, for this, this, that, blah, blah. But it's really hard to watch him in this film because it's so stupid. If you watch this film, I don't even give a fuck if you were in the 1960s when you watched this film. This guy's making the wrong mistake. Like, he's, he's making the wrong choice. Logic dictates... So you think you're, you should you're, take you're, the money? Not not take the money, but run. Because there's been so many chances where, the, where like, Butter, butter ass, oh, Butterworth, uh, said, <laughs> you know, you don't have to do this. You can just walk away. You know what I mean? Like, there's so many times where, like, at, look at High Noon. There's so many chances. He said, just don't even worry about this. Leave. No, I got to do this. So so, so here's, what, here's where I land on this. I think that I read High Noon as Gary Cooper should have walked away. The town would have been fine if Gary Cooper had left. Ultimately, the bad guys would have shown up and they would have just left and kind of gone and terrorized. I mean, like, that town would have been fine if that's his obligation. Mm-hmm. If your thing is, like, I need to confront evil where it exists, then that's, you know, mm-hmm. another thing. But the idea that nothing would have happened to that town if Gary Cooper had just left. Mm-hmm. But I think, through to Yuma, I think that Dan Evans was right to not walk away. My thing was about Dan Evans was simple. In film world, the fact that he made out alive was fantastic. And it made the film. In reality, he would have died. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's clearly, especially when you get to the end and you're kind of watching the shootout and there's some like clever stuff. They go to the train, they're surrounded by like 18 guys. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're yeah. fucked. Like, you yeah, know, you're so, fucked. Yeah. But, but it's also actually, like, there, there was, uh, I'm it's, not 19, even it's there's 1957. Three, there, there's three shots that he took at the same time that all missed him. I'm like, no, yeah. no, no, no. Well, <laughs> you got to think about the accuracy of like an 1885. No, I, I understand. Yeah. I understand, yeah. Dan. I mean, you and I, we get it. We get it. We get yeah. it. But at the same time, we're like, 
what the fuck, dude? Yeah. <laughs> just the thing is, I love the high noon, right? But the thing is, I love the inaccuracy, the unrealistic ending of 310 to Human. The yeah. unrealistic makes it good. That's well, what and, and the good. fact that and the fact that ultimately what happens is he gets on the train and then like Wade pulls him up. Yeah, he's like, yeah. "No, and, fuck you, we're doing you know, that." And, and and it's like it's like a very much a like, "Well, you got me. I'm done." There's a very real like respect that kind of goes on. Yeah, it's no, no, I love it. It's a character I moment. I I, you know? I adore that ending. And that's a very, I mean, it's Elmore Leonard, but Elmore Leonard usually is darker than that. You yeah, know? like yeah, Elmore, just a bit. Elmore Leonard just usually. Give you that kind of like, it, but but I think it, there's like it, the respect between this kind of you know this. I mean, literally, this is the guy who's died with this. The thing is, family. like for me, like Elmore yeah. Leonard, Leonard, he would have loved Ravnus's ending. That respect between like yeah. that's the thing that <laughs> no, I think that, like, that, yeah, no, that, that's, that's that kind. Of, I'm not saying that that quality of film. Yeah. No, no, no. I'm, no. Saying I'm that, just that saying. That I'm just saying like we just keep coming back to Ravnus. We can't get away from Ravnus. Well, well why not? Because uh, it's, well, it it's a great film. It's a great film. No, no. Like Dan, but Daniel, it's the first snow of the year around here. I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of heartwarming. This is yeah. a heartwarming moment you, for me. You, you want to eat some human flesh. I get oh, it. I do. Around yeah. the hearth. Around the, the around the warm bonfire of Christmas, Daniel. Uh, yeah, that's good. We're good. Oh yeah, we're good. We're good. Soup's on. I love to pretend to human. I love the ending. I find it very unrational. However, because of the unrational ending, I love it. And the thing is I think we'll get back to Lee in a back in a second. But I no, think we that's what we'll I, I, <laughs> I think that's why the remake happened, which is sad it happened. Yeah, well, uh, uh, so I'll speak on the remake first before we before I get into my thoughts on this film. The remake's garbage, garbage. <laughs> it, it is absolute garbage. garbage. I do like they do put in the remake that appreciation for each other, and they use that as self sacrifice. Yeah, and they both die. Yeah, but and they then, use that they they want that bad ending. They want that bad ending. That's the thing is people like well no we need everyone to die because the, the, if yeah. we all if, if everyone doesn't die no one will pay attention. And here and here's the thing, Christian Bale in the uh, Van Helfen uh, role in the remake does not Bale work. Is that Van Helfen role? Jesus <laughs> right. Van Helfing role. Anyway, Kristen Bale in any role doesn't work because I hate him. He makes it the serious badass in that version of the film, which just totally undermines the entire fucking point of the story. Yeah, it does. It does. I mean, this is the uh, point uh, that I, I made in the in the like proto first episode of this podcast is that Christian Bale just can't do like ordinary person. You know? yeah. <laughs> well the problem is he kept on talking like Batman the whole time. He was like Pretend to Yuma Despite the but, fact that the film came out two years before Batman. I'm joking. Doesn't Come on, matter. Take, a, take a joke, god damn it. Doesn't oh, matter. Really? Doesn't matter. And and here's the thing: Russell Crowe is actually great in he his. Is, Russell Crowe is great in this. I love Russell Crowe in this. He he, he is actually a, a fucking spot on casting choice to replace Glenn Ford in the in the remake. Oh, spot on. Spot yeah, on. but but that film sucks. Well, if you're gonna so Russell Crowe could do the like both the sort of the badass and the tenderness. I, mm-hmm. I kind of yeah. get that. Yeah, no, but, he's he's like, very charming. Christian, yeah. Christian Bale 
Christian Bale's a really no. bad decision. Even <laughs> flipping the roles, I would buy more than Russell you know, Crowe. Then, yeah, like, exactly. You know, yeah, Russell Russell no, Crowe is sort of like no, the loser with the farm. Bale is bad like, in you know. everything I've ever seen him in. He's just mm-hmm. bad. Well, Christian Bale does the you know I'm generic badass. That's fine, but anything that requires him to emote, I just don't. Oh, like, you know? <laughs> hell no, hell no. Uh, but but, uh, but let's go back to the original uh, three two three ten to Yuma, if I may, Lee. For a yeah, second. well, I'm, I'm I'm tending to get to. I, that. I wish I wish based on um, assassination of Jesse James film, I wish they'd just done Casey Affleck and Brad Pitt. That would have been the uh... that would have that would those would have been better choices, honestly, way better choices. But my, my thoughts on this, I really enjoy the psychological cat and mouse game between the two main characters. The, the the entire film is based around this, and I mean, you've basically got two characters with two very not so different moral codes. They're on the no, opposite. they're 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 very similar moral codes. Yeah, they're very similar. That's the they're kicker. But they're on the opposite side of the lob for the most part. To see fucking Glenn Ford just fuck with Van Helfen. He tries different avenues. At, at times, he tries to undermine them and go, if I had a wife like that, I wouldn't fucking treat her like this. And your kids, oh, I would treat them oh, so much no, better. I'm, I'm, uh, as rough. a happily married man, like that's a moment where I just want to punch him in the face. Exa- no, exactly. Thank, thank you, know. you, Daniel. Woo-woo. I was going to say, like that was the moment when I was watching. I was like, oh my God, this guy needs beat. This guy needs beat hard in his bed with the fucking butt of a shovel. Yeah, he could have shot him in the face and then just said, like, oh, he tried to run away. Yeah, yeah, and he did, just, yeah like, but yeah, he could have. You know, he could have. But chose not to, right? Ford got beat way less than he should have in this movie. Oh, yeah, no, but I mean, Ben Wade, the character, Glenn Ford's character, he he knows, he, he actually knows from the beginning that this guy isn't up to the task of, like, shooting him in the face. He he knows, and he's playing with him. And However, it, it, like, could one of us not beat him less? Because I would have beat him a lot more. Oh, I would have. I would have. I the whole ride. If, if I had a wife and he talked about her like that, I would have took the stock right to his nose. It yeah, wouldn't have exactly. been any question. Yeah, exactly. That's... But the whole film is based around the conflict of these two personalities coming together. They have similar moral codes. It is so amazing to watch fucking Glenn Ford's performance here where he's got that sly little grin on his face. Oh, where, oh my God. He, where he, he is the best Satan I've ever seen. At times, he tries to undermine Van Helfen. Other times, yeah. he tries to win Van Helfen over to his side where, hey, just let me go and I'll give you $400 instead of $200. And then another time, it's like, I'll give you seven thousand dollars. Seven thousand. I keep ten because it makes making it easier when I count. I count yeah, and then another time it's ten thousand because I count in tens. It's it's so beautiful the conversation between these two guys but and ben the best thing the sweats and it gets that, that's that's what I was about to say. The best thing is this does a better job than High Noon and again. Uh, this podcast has changed my thoughts on the two films where I now say this film does a better job than high noon at building tension, building suspense. It comes out of Van Helfen's performance where as the fucking minutes tick by, he sweats more. You see more beads of sweat on his forehead. Well, you, you feel, you feel like there's an actual thing where he might actually take the money, right? Exactly. Like, yeah. you feel, like, like yeah. and that's, 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 
It's also um, uh, the director. Uh, sorry, four three two to Yuma. Looking it up, Delmer, <laughs> Delmer Davies. Davis. Delmer Davies. Yeah, I was there. I Delmer. I had Delmer. Yeah, yeah, you got it. You got it. Um, <laughs> Delmer Davies is known as a director who relied on performance. Who was not, who yeah, was very yes, kind yes. of like like a straightforward. I'm just gonna kind of shoot it and just kind of rely on performance and script and that works great for this you don't need some big showy directorial thing to like no the thing is or 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 an inner monologue you wish there was one but you don't need one but you wish there was one well i don't i don't even i feel feel like an inner monologue would give us a yeah uh, but you don't you don't need one but you wish there was one you're like okay what are you thinking now are you thinking it you're thinking it aren't you like i was like gritting my teeth kind of Watching this going, you're fucking thinking about it, aren't you, you son of a bitch? Like, I was getting into this tension. Well, I mean, honestly, you just sold the reason why there doesn't need to be an inner monologue because you made the film much more interesting because you're thinking about what's going on. I'm just looking at it going, come on, are you, you come on, you can get that shotgun, you know, you son of a bitch. Like, I would, I would just pull that son of a bitch, I'd shoot Butterfield through the fucking door, and I'd walk out with my. <laughs> you shoot Butterfield. <laughs> I do it right through the fucking door and be like, come on, son, you come with me, bitch. And Dan, I understand why Dan did it because he goes, can I fucking trust you? No. You know, and that's the thing is like, if Dan, if he knew that he could trust Ford, he would do it, but he doesn't know it. So he's not going to try it. He's just going to go for the guaranteed 200 bucks. And the thing is though, I'm not saying the money's the only thing that is guaranteeing him to do yeah. it. It's also his honor and everything like that. But like, you can watch this oh, play from, and pull and play respect, and pull. The there's respect from his kids and his wife. Like it's it, like exactly. it is. Like, well, there there is a sort of toxic masculinity thing that's going on where he's proving he's a man by you know doing this. You know. Yes, and um, uh, I, I will say there's a very direct connection to his performance in Shane as well because he plays mm-hmm. a similar character in Shane, where Shane comes into his family's life and his entire family actually starts really connecting to Shane and loving Shane and thinking, yeah, Shane, Shane's a great guy. He's a badass. His family actually kind of starts re- sort of responding to Glenn Ford's character in similar ways. So there, there is a bit of a connection there to Shane. Uh, although I actually, I don't know if I'd argue Shane's a better movie or not. I don't know. Uh, we have I to need to Shane rewatch Shane. I need to rewatch yeah, Shane. Yeah, we have to. We have to yeah, we'll, we'll we'll do Shane at some point. But uh, there there is a definitely a deep connection between this and Shane. I think. But uh, there we go. Sure. Yeah. There's so and much I'm, more I could say about this, but I kind of feel like do I'm it, done. Do honestly. it. Do it. Do I, I'm, it. I'm, I'm like I'm. <laughs> I just. I love the fact that the action sequence at the end is basically like there are like two shots fired, and it's really yeah. just like hiding from them. You know. Well, it's there's more like four sh- four or five shots fired. But I love like when they. But it's when, it's when very they, it's they, very few compared yeah, to something like High Noon or so many other exactly. films. No, yeah, kind, it's you know? not it's yeah. not a gunshot. It's not a gun gun battle yeah. to the end. Yeah. And it's, well, it's actually, Keystone. actually, actually, both of these films again with the revisionist western kind of thing that goes through these the through line that goes through both these films, they do the thing that the early westerns don't do where. There's just gunshots going off everywhere. One or two gunshots, someone's dead. Yeah. It gets really that sudden and, and, and very distinct. If you, if you looked at a film from the 1920s or 30s, and usually most of these were serials at that point, right. there's just gunshots going off everywhere. Right. But, but, oh, it's but like, it's like got, comedy gunshots. Yeah. Like, pew, 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 pew,
Oh, you haven't hit me yet, son of a bitch. It's very serious and it's very brief. Both these films end really quick. Once you get actually to the ending of these films, they end really fucking super quick. Like, yes, yeah. they do. Yeah, and I actually thought this. I was like, okay, you have this build, big, big, big build up to a climax that lasts for like three seconds. It's like me in bed. Like, what is that? But I mean, about? but it, I mean, it's. <laughs> but uh, it, it's like real life, though. Oh no, like, no, no. I, I refuse to believe that uh, Paul has ever brought someone to a climax. In it's like real life. Uh, okay, so. I don't know if any of you guys have ever been in a fight in your life, but think about the build-up to, okay, you're going to get into a fight with someone. Yeah. Um, Dickhead's talking to you. He's talking about his penis in your mouth. and Yeah. Yeah, the the entire thing is, up to that point, it's all build-up. The last few seconds is the actual fight. Like, the fight doesn't last long. Real-life fights are like two hits. Somebody's two hits. Exactly. He goes off with your girl. Yeah, I know. it, It... it's the OK Corral thing, where uh, from from all from all historical records, although how divergent most of them are, most of them conclude that the shootout at the OK Corral lasted like, within thirty seconds. Yeah, two yeah, shots, yeah. No, four shots rather, and just everyone uh, like dead. a couple a couple people died instantly. Couple people ran, and that was it. That was the end and of the that fucking. Was it. That that was the major shootout of the West. You, yeah. you don't you don't get these massive multi bullet fight scenes. Exactly. Or, you yeah. know, it's yeah. it's especially you know. when everybody's in the fucking same plane of vision. Yeah. yeah. They're they're all lined up against each other in the street like the OK Corral where they just start shooting at each other, a bunch of people drop dead, some people run and it's over. Well see, I watched the OK Corral and it really was a corral. It was a fucking mm-hmm. right angle versus, you know, the, the opposite of a right angle. But the thing is it was four people here, two people here, eight gunshots, and they just all fell flat on their faces. I mean, it wasn't any. I don't even think it was eight gunshots. It was this was the OK Corral. Well, really, one of, one of my favorite moments in Three Chin to Yuma is actually the moment where uh, Glenn Ford is. Oh, you got you know this guy in front of you, this guy behind you, and you, oh, know, like, how, like, you how put you me make in that front, and you put me behind, and how you gonna oh, make the yeah, corner? Yeah, yeah. Basically, just goes well. Like I'm just gonna do it together, <laughs> gonna... and then they're not gonna <laughs> shoot me. Well, yeah, look, I made it through, you know, and it, and, and it really and is, and, like, and it lasted like a split second. Yeah, he's airing them. I mean, there there is something very modern about this sort of like there's something well, modern and indie about sideways. this. Like yeah, that's what know, comes but... with the revisionist western. It demystifies the old west legends. Legends. He made a good term, demystifying. And that's why I think John Wayne and uh, Howard Hawks so hated these films. Oh, yeah. And... They hated both of these films, right? You know, so. Dan, Dan just put a perfect thing in front of us. How are we going to make this corner? Like this, asshole. And then Lee's like, demystifying. How can you sum up that better than these new films? That is perfect. Like the way, the way, you, made, you, made, the way you said that was, was beautiful. Because it does take away a lot of that nuance that the old films had. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, you did it. You did it great. Right there. 30 seconds, all these westerns, dead. That's pretty fantastic. Although I think uh, as we, uh, the next episode, we'll... We'll we'll, 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 we'll go back in time a bit. Yeah, we'll, we'll, but uh, what were you going to say, Dan? I have one more thought, and I think I'm, I'm ready to kind of wrap up. We spend almost 30 minutes of screen time in that uh, hotel room, Mm -hmm. in in that and uh, that again feels very modern. I think there is something about this 
I mean, a film from 1957, which in so many ways feels very indie 2017, or at least like indie 1997, you know, to me, you know, you know, it feels very kind of sparse and minimalistic in so many ways. But the idea that, yeah, we're just going to spend a bunch of time in this, in this hotel room, we're going to spend a bunch of time, like kind of in one little space, and then we're going to kind of go out on the street you know, for, for kind of to, to get context and for, for story. But ultimately it really is about these two people in this one room. And I, right. and I feel like if this was like remade or made today and then like sort of a shot today, they would have, they would make a, that would be the, the core of the advertising campaign. You don't have to worry these about two, that. Two men, one room, you know, okay, I can see like a sort of an indie Ryan Reynolds and uh, you know, like. Oh. Uh, I would know. like to say, Daniel, Ryan Reynolds is not in it. Yeah, what what are you even saying? Um, no, I'm saying I'm saying like <laughs> I, I, I want to make I want to make the good remake of Three Ten the Game. Actually, I'll tell you, good... if Ryan Reynolds in it was in it, I'd actually watch it. I, I'd actually want to make the good remake of High Noon more than I'd want to make the good remake of Three Ten the Yuma. We we need we need to do an episode at some point, one off episode where we recast films for remakes. Yeah, like, yeah. I, I, but. Three Tinty Yuma is kind of the precursor to like a Quentin Tarantino film to a certain degree where yeah. it's mostly conversation and the action happens within 30 seconds. All the, the, the fucking build up to the action, all that's like a shootout in 30 seconds and it's just gone. But most yeah. of it's conversation between characters, right? Yeah, Tarantino definitely studied this film. There's, there's mm-hmm. no question to me that Tarantino knows this film backwards and forwards. Yeah. For better or for worse, for Tarantino, but that's uh, depends on how you feel about Tarantino. No, I legitimately love Three Ten to Yuma, and uh, the one thing, the one thing for me is I get these two films confused sometimes because I was thinking like, oh, I want to see Helen Ramirez, and I put on Three Ten to Yuma, and then realized she was in High Noon. Early in the podcast, uh, Paul started talking about the plot, the Three Ten to Yuma. Like, yeah. so I mean, you know, it, I can see the bartender just... in Three Ten to Yuma with Helen Ramirez. Years down the line, I'm kind of like, oh, that's kind of because I probably saw them a day or two apart or whatever, right? You know, and then just never thought. No, I mean, they're like, they're so similar. So if if yeah. you watch them together, and they're both great characters. They're both yeah, great characters. You they know? they bleed so. into each other. They're they're very much mm-hmm. a similar vein. Like they do. Stock. They're very much that revisionist Western kind of thing, and they have similar thematic elements that definitely sort of bleed into each other. So, thematic. Um, yeah, thematic. Yeah, I said that thematic. word. The only real trivia point I'll put on here is this film, along with the uh, equally uh, allegorical High Noon, was a deciding factor in Howard Hawks deciding to make Rio Bravo, which we already said, basically. <laughs> but uh, it was basically, you know, John Wayne and Howard Hawks got their fucking ass up because it's like, that's not the kind of Western we used to make. Uh, yeah, you went, no, we can fill in there. That's right, we're going to make a better one. Yeah, we'll make a Yuma is better than The Searchers, by the way. Oh, yeah, it is. It's totally better than The Searchers. And I like, I still like the Spaghetti Westerns that you showed me. Yeah, well, yeah, and they're yeah. and they're, they're all better than the searchers too. By the way, <laughs> just <Yep>. saying. <laughs> I'm not all spaghetti westerns, but certainly many of the ones that we've covered on this show. Wait, wait. I, I actually started buying those, and the one that I haven't found to buy yet is still the Great uh, Silence. Great Silence. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I need I need to find that one, but I've been buying them. I really have. 
Cool, cool. That, that, that's great to hear, just the fact that you've been... The Great Silence is one of the great films of its kind ever made. Like, no yep. question. Yeah. Yep. Uh, but, yeah, fuck. I didn't think I was going to say this, but I like Three Tinta Yuma better than High Noon now. Uh, but although I like High Noon more than I did, <laughs> I think I think I think Helen Ramirez is one of my favorite film characters of all time. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. that, I, that's, I, I plan on polishing at least one off to Helen by the end of the night. Yeah, I'm. Oh, she's she's a great character for her time, and she's yeah, also yeah, yeah. Has a great. I mean, character I mean, take, for... take it in context. Take I, it I in, believe though, no, I'm, 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 I, I I haven't uh, searched her out yet, but I believe I've seen her in about two or three other things too. Yeah, no, I'm, yeah, I'm, she's I'm, been I'm, in a bunch of stuff. Yeah, I'm, I'm not yeah. even putting. I'm not even putting it into context. I'm saying she's a great character for her time, and she's a great character overall for westerns. It, yeah, yeah. she she is a signifyingly like yeah. this great character and and we're going to do this at some point yeah Pat, I mean, billy kid she has a bit part in pet carrot and billy yeah. kid where yeah, she's yeah. you know 20 30 years older at that point but still i'll tell you what really I mean, awesome for, for, you know for for a black asian woman she does pretty well black asian woman <laughs> what the fuck uh, <laughs> you just threw me off you really threw me off yeah. uh the, the politically correct term paul is Blasian. Blasian. <laughs> <She's> Blasian. <laughs> is that what is that why they came up with the name Blaze from American Gladiators? That is, sure. that is, that Could is. have been. Although I'm pretty sure that was a white guy, wasn't it? Or a white girl? What, what yeah, was it? I don't like she had long hair and I I'd do it. No, I, no. Do, I do it's, I do try I do China. It's too. dodgeball, a true underdog story. That's that's the <laughs> Oh yeah. If you yeah. can dodge a wrench, you can dodge a ball. Sure. Yeah, rip, please, rip torn, rip torn laser, blazer. Yeah, <laughs> and Daniel gets the high five for the night. Yeah, he does. He does. That's yeah. a great reference. Yeah, um, I love that movie. We need to cover that movie at some point. We should. Anyway, we should. We should. We should. I. We should. We should go. It's time to go. We should wrap bye, up. Bye uh, bye. So, bye so Daniel. Daniel, tell people where they can find you on the interwebs. You can find me in so many places, uh, none of which are mine. Uh, Wrong with Authority uh, podcasts that I do about uh, history and the movies about them and other stuff that I just do with a bunch of British friends of mine. We've done a bunch of uh, stuff recently, including a uh, live commentary for Back to the Future, in which I comment quite aptly about how adorable Leah Thompson is, if you want to listen to that. Uh, Go check that out. Wrong with authority. Dot code. Dot blogspot. Dot code at UK. I think I'll link Something it. Like that. It'll you know, happen. Link it. Um, go find me on Twitter at Daniel Lee Harper. That's where all my stuff is. Yeah, Paul. Where can people find you on the Hello. interwebs? You can find me at uh, uh, oil paintings by Romali dot com. Also, you can find lots of my exports at uh, uh, enluxurytv.com. dot Bye bye. Oh, really? A new thing. Do I have to link that? No, ianluxury.tv what what the fuck is that I don't know what that is <laughs> you, you threw me for a loop that's not the usual thing you say don't link that you, you're, you're, you're goddamn scaring me no. you, you're really, you're really you have to scaring link me that. you have to link that now I, I do have to link it but you're scaring me uh, you, you can find make, make sure you're hyphen slash zoophilia.com you'll find me oh, oh that, uh, no oh, we don't. no we're not we linking that, like that now. Yeah. <laughs> no it's not happening uh, you, you I mean find... if you're a furry that's fine but like zoophilia is yeah. probably over the line yeah. uh, I'm uh, both you... 
No, you you can find us at tmbus.podbean.com if you so choose to desire to go there because we have all our available links there. Please join us on our Facebook group. They must be destroyed on site on Facebook. And also, if you're so inclined, if if you've got us subscribed on Apple Podcasts slash iTunes, whatever the fuck they're calling us, give us a five-star review and a review, please. I tried to check these things. I haven't checked in a while, but I'll, I'll, I'll try to check these things. If, if, if you give us a review, let us know so I can actually check it and shout you guys out for giving us a fucking review. And we would really appreciate it because basically what that does is it makes us more available to more people. Although that might not be a good thing, depending on how you stand right now, especially <laughs> this podcast, this, this episode, but Still. My, my, my my comments do not reflect the views or uh, opinions of the other Comcasters of this Comcast. Uh, they may be destroyed on site. Uh, Paul is a uh, the uh, a rogue commenter that says some crazy things now and again when he's drunk. Goodbye. Thank you. Yeah. So uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, next episode's going to be what? Stagecoach? Stagecoach from 1939. Woo-hoo! So we're talking yeah, about John Wayne. I'm going to be... Yeah. We're going to be talking about some classic fucking John Wayne and Stagecoach. So it's look forward to that. I did some Duke. He was a Mason, you know. Woo, crazy. Uh, yeah, or, 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 although if you uh, go by Repo Man, John Ooh. Wayne was a fag, you guys. Oh, he's a <laughs> the hell he animal. was! <laughs> hell he was! was. True. I, uh, <laughs> I showed up at his door. We did some work on his windows. and uh, yeah. he, he wanted that dick. He wore a dress. all right everyone we're gone goodbye bye there is a lonely train called the 310 to Yuma the pounding of the wheels is more like a mournful sigh there's a legend and can see the ghosts of outlaws go riding by, riding by. In, the sky. in the sky, way up high, the buzzards keep circling the train, while below the cattle are thirsting for rain. It's all so true, they say, and the 310 to Yuma. A man may meet his fate, for fate travels everywhere. Though you've got no reason to go there, and there ain't a soul that you know there. When the 310 to Yuma whistles its sad refrain So when you take the train Call the 310 to Yuma And leave the things you love You leave with a silent friend Though you've got no reason to go there And there ain't a soul that you know there 
When the three tend to humor Whistles its sad refrain Thank you for listening to They Must Be Destroyed on Sight. For past episodes and links to our iTunes, YouTube, and Facebook group, please visit us at tmbdos.podbean.com. There you can also find links to other podcasts and websites of similar interest. If you subscribe to us on iTunes, please consider giving us a five-star rating and a review. Please join our Facebook group as it's the single best place to get in contact with the hosts and to know what's coming up on the podcast. Thank you. Drive through. <laughs>